Okay, Dream Talkers. This is your host, Nick Bebo. We have a slightly different show today, and uh, I am very, very excited. Honestly, probably the most excited I've been um, for a podcast so far since I started this little project. So we have one of the reoccurring favorites here, Keith Thompson. Uh, Had a fun talk with him. I think it was episode three. One-on-one, got into all of our favorite stuff. He is a good friend, uh, a great fellow philosopher, um, verbal, talking jazz, improvisational buddy of mine. Mm -hmm. And he dropped a cosmic bomb on me (laughs) for the weekend with a small, uh, unsuspecting text, which led to me with a little response and then a call, which just totally... uh, blew my mind for lack of a better way of saying it and we're gonna explore that so keith welcome good to be back good to be here i'm looking forward to this uh, in ways that will be clear to the listener hello listener yes uh, as we unfold this it's a it's a, a homecoming for me let me put it right that way on. i love that okay cool so um if you want to know about Keith and my relationship, you can go back and listen to the other episodes. We're lots of lots of fun. We met through um, Paul Hederman, zenbitchslap.com. Check him out. Um, but today is going to be on a slightly different topic. But if you know non-duality, it's all the same topic, but different ways of <laughs> getting at it. Um, okay, so the text. So we last week we recorded uh, myself, Keith, um, Mike and Sharon had a fun talk at a cafe, uh, almost two hours. We went all over the place, relationships and non-duality and cults and movies and shows. It was lots of fun. And so from that podcast on, the conversation continued through text. And I got a text from Keith on Saturday saying, hey, this is kind of out of nowhere, uh, but... Have you ever given any consideration to the UFO phenomena? And so when he said that, my thought, my subjective thought was, yeah, that is kind of out of nowhere. We've never brought up aliens. We've never brought up UFOs. Maybe we have, but it sort of was just in passing. In fact, other people in the group seem to be a whole lot more into the UFO shows or the alien shows than Keith. And uh, so I, it really, I was like, yeah, that is kind of out of nowhere. And I sent a little response just to, you know, give my little take on it and see. I was interested in Keith's take. And the text back, I, I wish I could, I wish I could read it, but I remember the last line was, um, uh, you know, maybe I can give you a call and we can talk about my encounter with the UFO phenomenon. I think I might have said I had my own encounter my with own the encounter. UFO phenomenon. Yes. yes. Uh, Give me a call. We can chat. And I might have added, it's not a, it's not the typical encounter you might think. Namely, let me tell you about my sighting. Yeah. That wasn't where I was coming from. Yeah, yeah. It was like a, it was like a Hitch, Hitchcock, Egon Allen Poe level of suspense. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting because I know Keith's not your average dude. Let me tell you a UFO story. It's kind of like. Someone comes along. Let me tell you about my dream last night. Exactly. It's like yawn, right? No, or my best <laughs> acid trip or yeah. something. I know that that you are an interesting enough dude that this is going to be something cool. So I give you a call on Monday, and um, you—that's when you drop the bomb. 
You want me to say what that's going to drop? Okay, yes. so here's the deal. Uh, over 20 years, 25 years ago, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm a writer. I have a history as a writer, independent journalist, and have taken on all kinds of subjects. And uh, about 25 years ago, I decided to follow through on an interest that I'd had off to the side for quite some time. When I say off to the side, with most people, the UFO phenomenon is not an off to the side thing. If you are a researcher or a an experiencer who goes into publishing, you generally have been at the center of it. And so, uh, in a way that I'll make clear when I read from the prologue from the book, uh, I wrote a book uh, over 25 years ago called Angels and Aliens, UFOs and the Mythic Imagination. And it was based on my long-term observation of these sightings, these reports, these remarkable encounters that were reported. And I noticed a certain dynamic in the way we debate about that. And I will talk about that in a few minutes in when I read the prologue, which is quite short. So I essentially told Nick, uh, I wrote a book about this. Oh, and, and here's the reason I'm telling Nick now, this week. Because after I wrote the book many years ago, I uh, put it on the shelf, so to speak. I did TV and radio. I was on Larry King Live and entered into a lot of the debates on media about it at the time. And then I put it away. But in the past um, half a year or so, I enjoy Twitter. I have lots of good sources of information on Twitter. And I noticed there is what's called UFO Twitter. A lot of leading UFO investigators and researchers and commentators are there. So I've slowly been tracking the conversation. It's like coming back to a topic that... Uh, I, that I had a central interest in at one point. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm noticing this conversation and I thought, you know, I'm noticing a lot of newcomers to this field who are operating from a lot of assumptions that I could really address with them and love to maybe save them some time. Yeah. That was my feeling. Yeah. I'd love to save you guys some time <laughs> on how to think about this thing effectively, all right? And I, and to that extent, I think I did that. So um, I finally said, I want to revisit this material again. I don't know what I'm... The book is out of print, which is a nice way of saying it. Sold until it didn't sell, and the <laughs> publisher lets you have the copies back and so forth, and it goes into libraries. And I thought, I'm not looking to get into the center of the UFO debate, but there have been some, by the way, some recent developments in the mainstream culture about UFOs. Mm -hmm. And in addition to what's going on on Twitter talking about those, there have been some very interesting disclosures recently from the United States government, which I'll briefly talk about tonight too. So I thought, okay, this is up for me again. Mm -hmm. um, it's not one I want to devote my life to, but I would like to sit down with someone who I know I talk to well and say, you want to go through the highlights of my book and let me kind of share what my perspective was and Nick said? Hell yeah. <laughs> I would be more than happy. And I think I said many times over, I feel... Um, I feel so much gratitude that you trust me to sit down and do this. It's it, it. I feel uh, a lot a lot of respect and just a lot of graciousness. That, well, I know. wouldn't do it if it were if you. If you I mean, if it were a, a typical journalistic thing, which is yeah. point counterpoint, or if mm -hmm. I felt you were going to try to be debunking everything. I'm not as you as the listeners will hear. I don't have a point to prove in the classic sense. I focused on all the points that are trying to be proved. That was my story, and I'll tell how that came to be. But uh, I know, uh, Nick, from our conversations over a year, let me add one more thing. Yeah. You haven't said this. I know from our conversations 
that you're the guy that I can do this with. But I want to share something. Nick and I have been attending some talks of a Bay Area philosopher whom we both uh, very much respect and love, Paul Hederman, uh, zenbitchslap.com, uh, a very original thinker in somewhere between Alan Watts and with the style of Tony Soprano. He's often been, he's got a great street wisdom, uh, practical, deep insights about the nature of self and related topics. I've been going to these talks here in the Bay Area of California for over a year. I met Nick and a handful of other regulars. It's not a teacher-student thing. It's a share, a sharing of wisdom, a sharing of truth, lots of coffee, lots of fun, <laughs> lots of politics. And I made a decision when I showed up at this group. I said, I don't really, I don't care to know anybody else particularly in this group. Yeah, personally. Personally. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care to let them know about me. And in particular, I was quite certain that I did not want to say, uh, I did not want to disclose. It's very clear. I, I don't like to talk with people I don't know well. When they say, Keith, what, do you, what have you written about? I almost never mention UFOs. Yeah. Because the UFO phenomenon, as I think uh, I will try to make clear I in think, this conversation, yeah. has an aura about it that is so highly charged and that is the subject of the book but if you sit down to talk with people about ufos you're going to get opinions and they're going to talk about their cousin who had a sighting in nashville mm -hmm. and blah 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 mm -hmm. and i'm kind of i don't really want to talk about that <laughs> i just told you i wrote a book about it so for over a year i've been hanging out with nick yeah. and hanging out with others and i only recently decided to say oh by the way there's this book i wrote because i didn't want that to be a topic in the group. I didn't want to take away from what the group's focus is. And I did it for selfish reasons. I just didn't want to be identified yeah. like anybody else who would come into a group and what do you do? Well, I'm a teacher of history. Oh, what, 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 uh, what, what American history? Oh, well, I will tell you my favorite part of American history. Yeah. And the person goes, I'm actually in a group on another subject. Let's not talk about what I do at work. Oh. Well, this is what I did at work and I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Either. And I think it's a probably even more emotionally charged almost, you know, as we're going to probably, it'll become more and more clear quasi-religious thing that people can get very emotional and have a lot of, you know, baggage attached to the And, to the and that's, that's what, um, that's what the book's about, actually. Yeah. I'll just simply say, I, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, this, this headline. I, as an author, what you do when you, when you have a book proposal, I really said, okay, I am, I want to write, a, I think I have an interesting book. I want to bring together, I want to explore all the different hypotheses, all the different theories, all the different views in the UFO world, and then I want to reach some kind of conclusion that maybe explains what it's all about. So I sold the book, I, I you know, my, I, I got a book contract with a leading publisher, and I settled into the book, and I came to realize that, well, how about I just read the prologue? Please. And it's fairly short, and it'll tell you how I came to all of this. I love it. I have never said, so again, the book is called Angels and Aliens, UFOs, and the Mythic Imagination. I have never seen a UFO. I have never noticed anything in the sky that didn't seem to belong there, nor can I claim to have been invited or hauled against my will inside a landed saucer. During my formative years, I read no books promising to prevent the startling, never-before-revealed facts about UFOs. I wasn't even acquainted with the world of science fiction 
prior to taking a university course called The Literature of the Fantastic. Although I have probably seen every episode of the 1960s television program Green Acres, I can't recall watching more than two or three episodes of Star Trek from beginning to end. And over the years, nothing about the respective claims of UFO disciples and UFO debunkers has convinced me of the need to reach definitive conclusions about the ultimate nature and origins of this puzzling phenomenon. Let me pause right there and say what that is, is an intro to say, look, I'm not coming from the world of UFOs. I don't have a stance in that, but um, with that as my intro, here's where I continue. Instead, I have watched with fascination as a persistent body of remarkable stories, or in UFO jargon, sighting reports, has given rise to provocative mythic horizons and imaginal realms. In the pages that follow, I explore the ways in which these symbolic worlds themselves are real, vital, and filled with significance, whether or not any particular UFO was the planet Venus or a Venusian starship. In a book called Creation Myth, Scottish religion scholar R.J. Stewart defines myth as a story embodying and declaring a pattern of relationship between humanity, other forms of life, and the environment. Joseph Campbell, in turn, writes that the first and most essential service of a mythology is this one of opening mind and heart to the utter wonder of all being. Both definitions are relevant to this study, as are questions concerning parallels between modern UFO events and accounts in world mythology of human interactions with other extraordinary beings. To the extent that figures of myth are characteristically depicted as quarreling, cheating, vulnerable, seeking revenge, tearing apart and being torn apart, and if you've read Greek mythology or any mythology of the world, I'm, I'm, I'm just riffing right here away from the uh, intro. Uh, Mythology is filled with such battles and betrayals and revenge seeking. So to the extent that these figures of myth in general are always about quarreling and seeking revenge and tearing each other apart, well, we certainly find evidence of, quote, mythic patterns among competing UFO researchers Mm -hmm. as they contend to fashion for the UFO phenomenon a consistent mythos or plot and as their very efforts to do so forms a mythos of its own, an epic drama of individuals seeking to make meaning of epic events and experiences in which, to borrow an apt phrase from the psychologist James Hillman, the supposed surety of fact and illusion of fiction exchange their clothes. Time after time, this exchange reaches the same impasse, Testimony from the people on the one side, the people who have seen these events, Mm -hmm. and dismissive responses from the authorities on the other. In the fertile void of this deadlock, extraordinary possibilities about the nature of mind and matter, spirit and soul, heaven and earth, the destiny of the cosmos, their plans for us, all of these enter the debate, transforming the traditional celestial UFO into a metaphysical one. Quote, we have here a golden opportunity of seeing how a legend is formed, wrote the great philosopher-psychologist Carl Jung about flying saucers. I heartily agree. For over 40 years, the curiously compelling acronym UFO 
as an idea at work in the world's soul has shaped human belief and imagination in complicated ways. A robust contemporary prodigy has emerged in our midst, enticing us with the vivid ambivalence of its images, systematically resisting definitive explanation, fostering rancorous debate, comprising a provocative enigma of global proportions. This book is a chronicle of the wanderings of that prodigy. Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to try to stay calm. <laughs> Holy shit, you're a good writer. Well, thank you. Wow. Yeah, that, okay. I don't know how many drafts that was, but that's it's, what got it's published. It's like poetic. It's beautiful. It's a poetic phenomenon. Yeah, you see? it is. And that's part, yes. of the, that's part of what's um, amazing about it. Everybody is trying to get definitive about, well, what's this really about? Yeah. And that means people on, on the pro, pro side that there is something going on mm-hmm. uh, in the UFO sightings that are not, you know, let's just start here. Upwards of 90% of what are called UFOs are in fact misidentifications. Mm-hmm. This, is just, this is just agreed. Yeah, and it can be scientifically proven that it was a misidentification. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they're eventually found to have not been anything other than misidentification, um, uh, hallucination or, mm-hmm. or uh, states of consciousness or act out and out hoaxes. Mm-hmm. So when you take those aside, the debate has been between uh, those who are trying to explain, okay, what is going on with these uh, anomalous events versus the um, debunkers also, what's going on with them, why they can all be explained. Mm-hmm. And in the seriousness of that debate, both sides are trying to get to the real answer. And I finally saw, once I got the book contract, my place to stand in this is not to try to resolve who's right and who's wrong, but to tell the story of how ultimately, in our attempt to decode and explain the UFO phenomenon, we end up learning more about ourselves than about them. Yeah. Our ways of interpreting a phenomenon that is ambivalent, that is here, but is gone. It is tracked by radar, but radar has glitches. Mm-hmm. Eyewitness reports are good, but eyewitness reports are notoriously bad in court of law. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are every approach of this phenomenon, uh-huh. which seems compelling, can also be dismissed. And that's finally what I decided. That's the story. Yeah. There is, as you know, in communications theory, uh, a concept called the signal to noise ratio. Yeah, which is an A plus metaphor. This is an this. important idea. Yes. And there's an, any 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 communication. You know, you've talked to somebody who's totally stone drunk, right? Just sto- <laughs> it's a lot of noise. Not a lot of signal. not lately, hopefully, or, or totally stoned on something. Yeah. The signal signal meaning the intelligibility. Yes. Against the noise. What's being transmitted? What's just you know yeah. static, which is the the words, but the, well, in any communication, when the signal to noise ratio is high, you get more. Uh, more sense of coherence. We're communicating here, you know, like in a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, there's more signal, and some of the noise is there to be dealt with in in therapy. Mm-hmm. But uh, the question in the UFO phenomenon is, what's the signal and what's the noise? Yeah. And debunkers explain it all away. Mm-hmm. If there's a reason for their certainty, mm-hmm. and then proponents of different schools. Um, uh, take a stand and dismiss what doesn't work for their views. Yeah. So they pick their little slice of the signal and then and then suppress or ignore the, the rest of yes. the noise. And yeah. as a matter of fact, when I say dismiss you know, the rest as noise. When you start here's what's interesting about this phenomenon. When you start with let's sep- let's make the biggest divide between once we get rid of the mundane events that are just really misidentified mm-hmm. satellites, mm-hmm. let's say, 
and we're dealing with the core of, okay, what are the, what's going on in these actual reports? Uh, there's the debunkers who say it can all be explained as misidentification. They're all, all mundane. Yeah. But among those who said, no, there is actually something going on, and, and actually a fair number of mainstream scientists yeah. uh, uh, say that there's something going on, um, there is a basic dispute about whether these these phenomenon phenomena are from outer space, which is called the ET hypothesis. Now, many of our listeners might not. Well, what what else could they be? I mean, if they're not explainable as conventional, the ET they're the spaceships, right? Well, believe it or not, as we'll talk tonight, that's actually a question. Are they ETs in spaceships as they would seem to be, thanks to Steven Spielberg and others, or are we looking at a phenomenon that is perhaps far more complex? that is actually a form of non-human intelligence, but uh, is uh, something that uh, is not from outer space, but from, you may say, other dimensions of time and space beyond uh, our, our dimensions of time and space. And it's a phenomenon that may have always existed here on Earth, and it may be about the business of shaping human perceptions over a long period, a conditioning program. If that sounds strange, stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. So as as you were saying that, um, and I, I don't know if I made this clear early on, um, I would say you are probably like a tenth degree black belt in this field, and I'm a white belt. And I just want to like let the listeners know, especially the 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 dream talking regular listeners. Most of the time, I'm I'm talking about non duality meditation, the shit I'm really into. And so this is fun for me, and it's maybe even for the listeners, to be the novice coming in incredibly intrigued, you know, but like letting the, for lack of a better word, the expert, the authority really, you know, let me bounce some questions off you to get to a deeper understanding of this. And hopefully for the listeners too, I'm going to echo some of the things that sort of pop up. Right? Okay. Yeah. So, And, and by the way, I, I would like to, uh, in that regard, having done the prologue and sort of what tells you how I come in is I'm not trying to prove or disprove yeah. either of the sides. Rather, it's to tell the story yeah. of the debate about the sides. What I, The reason I, I want to I wanna, uh, amplify what I said earlier, that there are, are there have been some recent events in, in the United States that I've been tracking again. That's kind of what brought me back in. Yeah. I look at my book on, I've got extra copies of my book on my bookshelf and I walk by and I go, you may be ready to be part of my life again mm. because I've been paying attention. For example, this is now a shift into current events. Uh, in the past two years, there has been a disclosure. Well, let me just read this from Wikipedia please. about the AATI program. The AATI program is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program was a secret investigatory unit funded by the United States government to study unidentified flying objects, UFOs, that is to say UFOs, or, ex or unexplained aerial phenomena, UAPs. The program was first made public on December 16, 2017. The program began in 2007 with funding of over $22 million for over five years. What's, what's being said here is that Despite the long-term denials that our government's paying attention, they've not only been paying attention, they've been paying attention under a concept called the Advanced Aerospace Threat 
identification program. And they put They're not just saying unexplained phenomena <laughs> identification yeah. program, aerial phenomena. They are actually framing it as an aerospace threat. Mm. Uh, so I've been tracking that. I go, wow, well, first of all, this is interesting because the government has been systematically saying, oh, we, we track this stuff, but we don't pay any attention to it. Yeah. But I myself have always felt that there is not, it's not been a straightforward, uh, at the very least, yeah. uh, straightforward explanation. So two things that come up for me there. It became public in 2017. Yes, that but, it had been going on. But it's for... been going on since 2007. And do we know how did that was that leaked like a WikiLeak or something or how how did that become public? It's okay, let me let me let me let me yeah. show that this is just not this is you know this is by the way the the, the stuff of conspiracy theories yeah, yeah, in the yeah. UFO phenomenon. Yeah, um, I think we've what the government. Yeah, we're not. This isn't like uh, we believe whatever the hell we hear. Oh, and, and by I the think. way, it's not about Area 52. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or is it 51? 51 I never remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, initiated by the Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, wow. Democrat of Nevada, to study unexplained aerial phenomena at the urging of Reid's friend, Nevada billionaire and governmental contractor Robert Bigelow, and with support from blah, 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 other members of Congress. The program began in the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, in 2007 and ended after five years with a budget of over $22 million spread out over five years. Now, of course, Senator Reid is from the state of Nevada, former Senator Reid, where Area 51 is located. And, of course, we all know that Area 51 is at the heart of a, of a great many robust rumors mm-hmm. Um it's got its own great mythology. It really does. Yeah. And it's very clear that at the yeah. very least, it's a, it's involving very, very top secret uh, aerospace projects, including uh, stealth ra- stealth projects and so forth. But this has developed into a world, into a belief that there are crash saucers, mm-hmm. there are inter- there are aliens living on Area 51 and so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, or is it 52? I found I, I get a little dyslexic about that. 51. Area 51. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so that's just, I'm not going to go into depth about that. I also want to touch on another recent development before we go sort of into what I did in my book. In this past year, the History Channel put together a series called Unidentified, Inside America's UFO Investigation. It's a TV series purportedly exposing the U.S. government secret program, this that I just referred to, Mm -hmm. the AAIT. Uh, it features former military counterintelligence officer and alleged whistleblower Luis Elizondo. Maybe that's uh, how it came to And the he's been on a lot of shows recently. He recently resigned after becoming frustrated that the government was not taking the phenomenon seriously. Uh, he has confirmed, he's claiming that he has direct knowledge that UFOs are real. They exist. They have been officially documented. And that raises, uh, and there have been some releases of clips that went viral, uh, which were confirmed by the government, the U.S. Navy, to be authentic footage of what, for the first time, government has acknowledged are unexplained aerial objects that are traveling at enormous speed, uh, chasing, running, flying, I mean, uh, you know, propelling themselves toward Navy fighters, suddenly doing right angles that are beyond comprehension, no apparent, according to observers, this is found on radar, but also eyewitnesses, there's no smoke, there's no exhaust, mm-hmm. there appear to be no fins. And by the way, the latest crop of these events are shaped like Tic Tacs, like the Tic Tac candy. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're not okay. saucers. Mm-hmm. So in any event, I'm bringing this part up because this is kind of where 
uh, it's, it's gotten my interest again. Not that I'm trying to explain it. And as a matter of fact, I tend to believe in light of my approach to all this, that um, this is probably, um, if I had to bet based on my long-term study of this phenomenon, mm-hmm. that that while this these latest events have fostered an expectation, the latest latest version of any day. This is, by the way, this has been going on for 50 or 70 years now, uh-huh. since a guy named Kenneth Arnold saw the first saucers in 1947, I believe. Yes. Any day now, the lid on the government cover-ups going to blow sky high. This time for sure. Yes. That prediction has been in place. For 70 years. I see on Twitter, people I'm following, they have Twitter handles like Imminent Disclosure. And they are a new generation, many of them younger than I am. And I just want to say, brother, I hope it's on, I hope it happens on your watch. I hope the disclosure happens that you want on your watch. I'm, I'd be willing to predict that there is not going to be an imminent disclosure, not because the government is going to hide it per se, but because I believe I'd have to say that my conclusion, I don't know how informed it is, my conclusion is what the government knows is something outside our boundaries, our concepts, our uh, framework, our scientific, materialist, uh, physicalist Mm -hmm. framework knows something has been happening Mm -hmm. for quite some time. Mm And they don't know what it is. I believe they don't know what it is. I, so I what's the likelihood that. the government's going to say something is coming and going in our airspace with impunity? We don't know what it is. Yeah. We'll keep you posted. Yeah, we got no, no handle on it. We don't have a handle. <laughs> we don't even so know what the hell what it is. What they're going to do is study it and pretend not to be studying. I believe they don't know. Now, mm-hmm. uh, as for the imminent disclosures that could come out about, yeah, there apparently it has been, yeah. unless it's disinformation, there has been. Uh, a bureau in the government looking at this as an advanced, uh, potentially hostile yeah. force, which, given the the parameters I just defined, the technology back and the, 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 the incredible speeds and ex- executions, including what they do, these I'll just call them events. You know, UFO means unidentified flying objects. They appear to be objects, but at this with this kind of behavior, it, it is it is it energy or matter? Because, you know, Einstein, you know, we exactly. all know they're, they, they're... We're all based on our... Current. They're interchangeable. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they change forms. Uh-huh. So they, not only at super... I don't know the speeds. I can't even begin to say the speeds. But I'm talking about very accomplished, seasoned Navy aviators mm-hmm. saying, whoa, Nelly. They, they not only go... But then change right angles, go up. They dive into the ocean. They dive into the ocean like they are missiles... And then they come out some other place. How do they? How do? The, how does this? Whatever they are, if they are objects, how do they not know they're not going to collide with something? Yeah. How do they? Anyway. Yeah. I'm not saying I. I have no firsthand knowledge of this, but these reports have brought the phenomenon back into play. Yeah, and I think that's so important. Okay, so also to speak personally, I had come to the place, and I think I kind of portrayed it in the text that. Uh, could you just real quick define the nuts and bolts? Yeah, uh, the um, side of the first. The, let's see the argument. Yeah, the um, there, there's two basic theories or two basic approaches to the phenomenon to the to explaining what's going on if it isn't just conventional. Mm-hmm. With that said, the mainstream hypothesis has been that the UFO is the is 
from outer space. It's called the ET hypothesis, mm -hmm. sometimes called the nuts and bolts hypothesis, which says they are spacecraft. If you could get within distance, you could kick it mm -hmm. like an air, like a Piper Cub, and it would you'd make a sound. Yes. It would be they're made of metal. Mm -hmm. They have advanced technology. Uh, they come here and do all kinds of things, including abduct human beings yeah. and. Anyway, so the idea is, yeah, they are spacecraft more advanced than ours. But yeah. And then the other alternative is that they are some paranormal, interdimensional, time-traveling phenomenon that is really belongs in the category of the paranormal that, that we identify here, uh, telepathically, clairvoyance, distant viewing that transcends uh, the boundaries of what we acknowledge to be possible and what mainstream science says, no. Paranormal phenomena does not exist. Uh -huh. It's all that hasn't been proven Can't decisively. Can't be measured. <laughs> yeah. Can't be measured in the way. Although uh -huh. there are some good studies. Yeah, there's some signal there. There's something mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. and, um, Maybe uh, our instruments aren't quite there. So anyway, that's what the ET okay. hypothesis is. It's it's the idea that they're nuts and bolts. So okay, leading up to me talking with you, I had reached the idea that the nuts and bolts. I, I tend to, as I said last week, psychic phenomena. Um, you know, God, ghost, aliens, we'll say the nuts and bolts idea of aliens, I tend to say it's all bullshit. Show me the proof, right? You you, you have the burden of proof, right? That was sort of my take for a very long time. Now, I, and I had reached a point where we live in the era of YouTube and, and everyone has a has a high definition uh, camera in, in their hand, yep. right? Where show me the proof. What you just read is the greatest... Uh, argument for the actual maybe there is some uh, there is some signal in that <laughs> for the ET for, for what it looks ET. like and yes. by the way when I when I when I have because just... it's a government first off it was try and this is all stuff you would expect today you would expect in the 2000s in the era of internet and the era of WikiLeaks if you hear this story back in the 70s there there's there's so much more of a of a chance for things to be hearsay, diluted, yada yada. We live in a time where once something's leaked, you know, there's no real way of hiding it. You know, it's out there, and this is the era of the internet. And I, I would tend to, you know, the numbers make sense. Ten years of hiding it, twenty million dollars. That sounds like plausibly what the government would put into something that you know is maybe something they feel is a real threat. Is something that's worth looking into. Going back to your idea of like, they know, maybe they do know there is a threat, but they don't know what it is. And so they're just trying to get some people that are, that are, you know, maybe the, the leaders in, in that field of get a handle on this and figure out what the hell's going on. This is an existential threat. This is an unknown, you know? So the argument you just made over the last 15 minutes reading those is the best I've ever heard. Well, let me tell you also, that. again, how this phenomenon then ultimately, uh, by revealing something new, it further conceals itself. Yes. That is one of, my, back into that's the, one of my arguments in my whole approach. The cool mythology. In its it. very um, self-manner of presentation, it has a way of canceling itself. For example, regarding the AA... TI, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. There have indeed been individuals, Lou Elizondo, and other real people, including Assistant Secretary of Defense, and I'd have to get his name, yeah. real people. They are participating in this History Channel TV series called Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation. If you have uh, a cable provider and you've got um, the 
History Channel and you've got On Demand. This this series, it's a six parts. It's it's still there. You watch it tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. There's some very compelling I'm stuff. I'm watching it tomorrow. <laughs> but the AAI, uh, AATI has already come under uh, scrutiny that maybe Elizondo is not really who he says he is. Uh, the government has not fully corroborated that this agency exists. He said he was in it. Now, of course, I've just read data that show that Harry Reid says it it did exist. So it falls into. I'm not trying to explain it away. Yeah, yeah. I'm really not. Yeah. But I notice that right now on Twitter, in the UFO Twitter, uh, our conversations about uh, Lou Elizondo is the biggest hoaxer I've ever seen. These are, by the way, UFO. Uh, scientists who think it's real mm-hmm. others say lou elizondo is as pure as a driven snow i know the guy and he was involved in this and uh, he's trying to orchestrate a slow soft landing for disclosure but even the new round of players is enmeshed in the dynamics of character assassination mm-hmm. uh, reputation enhancement show me your proof so i would really highly recommend the the series unidentified on the history channel not because i'm saying it's uh, but it's very well documented. Mm-hmm. There's something. There are videos of these events, and and I call them events. By the way, an unidentified flying object. People say to me, "Do you believe in you?" You know, say on someone who doesn't even know, or they'll say, "But uh, they know I wrote a book." They say, "Oh, do you believe in UFOs?" Yeah. And I always stop and I said, "Do I believe in UFOs?" I know what they're asking. Yeah. Is it real? Are they coming from? Are do do I believe spaceships are coming? But. Do I believe in UFOs? Yeah, I believe in UFOs. I believe there are unidentified yeah. events that appear to be flying. They are in the. They appear to be aerial. I mean, they they are to everyday people with iPhones take pictures. So yeah, unidentified flying objects. They appear to be objects, but even the ones that are captured on iPhones, every there's a lot of. You can go on YouTube and show me a UFO. People are using their iPhones, mm-hmm. but what they are getting is something that is very often moving so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of the day, moving so fast that it does not appear to be conventional. I will, and it does not appear to be an airplane. It moves and it stops, and it changes trajectory, mm-hmm. and then whoosh, yeah, yeah. out of the frame. Yeah. That's probably not a weather balloon. <laughs> it's probably not an airplane, not a Cessna, or a Piper Cub. Uh, satellites don't do that. But what was that? So we go to it. Must have been a spaceship. On the basis of available evidence, I witnessed there's something that is being, there's something happening. This Jung said, there's something happening, we know not what. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there can't be um, valid and credible theories. My premise in, in my that led to my book was that I have noticed that every theory uh, ends up never f- able to fully cross the threshold mm-hmm. of convincing and so it lands in a realm where what fascinated me was this endless stalemate ends up yeah. itself being a manner of conditioning us do they appear let's say they are well, whatever they are from other dimensions mm-hmm. in the same sense poltergeist I'm not saying I believe in poltergeist. I've seen the popular stuff on poltergeist. Mm-hmm. But the poltergeist is something that emerges. It's an unresolved memory yeah. that transcends uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it persists because it's not finished. It's yeah. consistent with Buddhist ideas of karma mm-hmm. and so forth. Unresolved fixations. Mm-hmm. But this is a really bad one. It turns out it you know, lived in the basement and it's hellish. Yeah. But poltergeists, um, ghosts... Um, 
psychokinesis, a whole range of phenomena right here on this planet. Well, the UFO phenomenon actually partakes of a lot of those elements. So the major debate in among those who study this phenomenon is, are they just just extraterrestrial craft? Or uh, are this, is it something, and some of the most intelligent researchers, including uh, Jacques Vallée, who I have found myself very influenced by, I'll discuss him in a, a bit here, mm-hmm. uh, talk about, no, this isn't, these are not, he, he once believed in the ET, he, he once believed in the sort of straightforward, these appear to be spacecraft. And it evolved. Uh, but he has, he's evolved. sort of evolved beyond yeah. it and is, I have to say the, the researchers in this field who are credible are those who can hold a very high level of paradox. And yeah. let me just say this, if you are a listener, as a listener, if you are someone who finds paradox appealing and it because you understand that a paradox can't be solved, it is something that has to be lived. Uh, and whatever, whether, you know, you might be attracted to Zen, you might be attracted to any form of advanced riddling that holds two things together. If you're not into paradoxes, yeah. if it has to be A or B or black and white, then my approach to the subject will probably just seem uh, a lot of hot air. Yeah. Because uh, I think those f- researchers who have managed to stay with the phenomenon have said, okay, it seems to do this, which is consistent with ET. But there's many reasons uh, to question the ET hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Let me give you one right off the bat because I'm thinking about it. Jacques Vallée, the researcher I'm talking about, has uh, referred to this. One of the uh, major motifs of the UFO abductions, I mean, I don't know if the average listener is familiar with, especially in the 1980s, there were the um, phenomenon evolved uh, to uh, include actual human alien interdiction. Yeah, I think that's... Interaction. That, that it's pretty kind of much seeped out into there. the popular. I'm thinking maybe well, a, yeah. a millennial who's now 30 would have might not necessarily. Anyway, um, one of the things that's. By the way, they appeared. These appear to be experientially very compelling. Mm-hmm. I've always said, and when I was asked on various TV shows, Keith, bottom line, do you think these abductions are real? And I said to the host, I'm just going to tell you as honestly as I can, if you had what these people had had, if you had had the experience, you would have thought it was real. Do I know it was real? No. And because there are aspects of the phenomenon of of abductions that are absurd. Yeah. They're truly absurd. They're ludicrous. Mm -hmm. They, they couldn't, how could this be happening in this way? And that is one thing Jacques Vallée has said. They can be real events of some kind, but they almost at times appear to be staged. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a pretty far out idea. Who would st- how could they be staged to, to convey the idea that abductions are really going on? What would be the nature of that? Well, there is a theory that, uh, and a hypothesis, which says there is some phenomenon that, and I'll go into this more, yeah, yeah. but let me just specifically say, as for the, as for the abductions, one of the major elements is they seem to conduct medical examinations on the human beings, especially involving their reproductive. They're very interested in the reproductive system. Yes. Uh-huh. And there are some abductees, human beings who have claimed to have been abducted and been inside a spacecraft, who are actually, I've talked to many of them. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay? Yeah. In the process of doing this book, uh, these are not simply hallucinating. They were not taking ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. They're Mildred and Albert driving home from bowling in Nebraska. And they report that they got inside a spacecraft and did not remember it for several days, and the flashbacks came back. 
Anyway, this obsessive interest in the reproductive system, as Jacques Vallée has written, he said, at some point, how if they have the ability to get from vast distances, if they are from outer space, they're technologically advanced enough to get from get enormous. This is one thing debunkers often cite. They will tell you the mileage yeah, yeah, yeah. and the time it would take. Millions of light years. Uh, millions yeah, of yeah, light yeah. years. So, uh, And they come and conduct the same first-year medical school-type rudimentary <laughs> yeah. examinations. How many <laughs> do you think they would have gotten the basic idea how it works? So what they are doing is conveying the idea that this is what they're doing. And mm. uh, there's even a, a theory that's widely... Uh, held among people who are, live in this world is that there is advanced genetic engineering going on between aliens and human beings and that there are hybrid babies that have been born. Now that sounds perfectly National Enquirer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It is widely uh, part of this mythology and yeah. I use the word mythology and by the way very respectfully you know we tend to say is it true or mythic? Is it true or myth? Yeah. Myth doesn't mean false. Myth can be very true. Well in your your prologue i think that was that clear very clearly yeah well well, what came to me you said you had one great example and then i said that sounds like joseph campbell then you said and then it's joseph campbell yeah (laughs) Yeah, which i saw that one coming um i was thinking on the way over about the i I think i mentioned to the other day the interview that joseph campbell did with a fundamentalist christian dude i don't remember his name and the guy comes and says so you say god's a myth and joseph campbell says yes he goes so you're saying he's not real he goes no i'm saying he's a myth and he goes, so you're saying he's he's fake? No, I'm saying he's a myth, right? And uh, and he slowly kind of, you know, is is trying to, you know, he's, he's trying to be a, a gotcha, like ah, see, you don't really believe in God. And so he goes, well, do you believe in God? And I thought of that when you do you believe that the abductees were really abducted? Do you believe in UFOs? And Joseph Campbell says, I absolutely believe God is is real. I believe he's a myth. Right. And then he goes, well, give me another word besides myth. You know, myth means that it's fake. He goes, no, myth means it's it's a metaphor. And and then Joseph Campbell puts it back on him. He says, give me uh, an example of a metaphor. And then the interviewer says, uh, the guy ran like a deer. He goes, that's not a metaphor. That's a, a simile. Right. He's, it, the, the metaphor would be the guy was a deer. A deer. Right. He's a real yeah. he's a real tiger. Yeah, yeah. He is a tiger. He is a deer. I'm saying God is a metaphor. And and then he goes on to further define it as a metaphor for a mystery that transcends all definitions, even being a non And mythologies yeah. form about the you know, God may be real, every every uh, religion has some take on it mm-hmm. and and so forth. God um, is real to Christians and there are mythologies there are differences differences within Christianity and there are differences. Yeah, yeah. So the, the myth, a mythology is not false. Yeah. And yet we do say real or is it real or, or myth? Or, yeah. True which, or it, myth? It's a false dichotomy actually. So yeah. myth re- actually myth refers to that which is deeply real. Yes. Deeply experienced. Than, yeah. A sim- symbolism, something that's symbolic, is not opposed to being literally true it is a depth to what is true yeah. that goes deeper that's why it's symbolic that's why it has resonance mm-hmm. that's why these phenomena have resonance they come from the sky which is where gods have traditionally come from mythic figures come from mm-hmm. mount olympus yeah. so i i'm trying to hold a ground in this approach that i took 
which guaranteed relatively few readers, but that's the way it works <laughs> yeah. because there weren't many people who were interested in an advanced experiment uh, into how to think about thinking. I love, yeah, I, and I, but I love the idea too that, um, you know, I did Malcolm Gladwell. He's my favorite author, my favorite uh, um, nonfiction author. I did his masterclass recently and he says, and it's almost a cliche, but write the book that you want to read and write the book that you don't see anywhere. If you if you have this I want I want to go read this book but it doesn't exist then write it you know and it, it seems like that's what you did which is so cool to me which again I'm gonna get a little sappy I feel so lucky to have met the guy that you know uh, Jordan Peterson looked looks at looks at existence and goes I want to make a a philosophy of everything and he did it in his way. Yeah. Ken Wilber, we might get into him a little bit. He looks at existence and being, and he goes, "I want to make a philosophy of everything." And he used his little spiral dynamic integral theory, right? I I see you more and more, and the deeper that you dive into this, is you said, "I want to explore the theory of everything." No one's done it through the mythology or the the phenomena of the UFOs. Let's dive into it, and it's such a cool. Uh, conduit to explore that well and that's what the point i think that uh what a lot of reviewers said is that this gives a paradigm this book if you're not interested in ufos still yeah. read it yeah. to and by the way this book is no longer in print so i'm not here to hawk a book yeah yeah, yeah it's, you can you can find this cool. if you're interested you find used copies on amazon yeah. and some sometimes two dollars i don't get any royalty from that used books so i'm, I'm here i'm not on a book tour yeah. So um, we're exploring I've had, it for the fun. Of, yeah, for yeah. the fun of revisiting this because these recent events, this, this this disclosure of a government yeah. program that was reviewing these at, in terms of threat assessment and a TV show called Unidentified, which is a great show, by the way, just in terms of production value. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this phenomenon is back. But I've had many reviewers say, uh, you may not be interested in the subject, but read this book anyway um, because – it tells you how to think about any phenomenon that has multiple aspects, and he attempts to take a fair uh, approach to the to it all. Yeah. To the many different perspectives. Yeah. I think that's coming across to, to the listeners. I really do. And and you know, I, I just I'm so excited. I want to keep diving in. And, well, let's and start. I mean, yeah, let me just sort of. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna. By the way, this is as I told Nick when we began. This is a little bit like across. It is a it is a podcast. And it's also a little bit like if you've ever been to a bookstore and gone to an author reading. Mm -hmm. They're called readings. Uh, So-and-so will be doing a reading. And uh, they very often don't spend, they don't read half the book. And I don't intend to do that tonight. But I am going to be reading some of the stuff here because I told Nick um, if I could paraphrase it, I would. But I think I'd spend a lot of time hemming and hawing. Why not just sort of read some passages and then use those to, to talk about. And especially because how did this thing get started? Chapter 1. In the early summer of 1947, this Associated Press dispatch came across the wire in newsrooms throughout the United States. Pendleton, Oregon, June 25th, AP. Nine bright saucer-like objects flying at, quote, incredible speed at 10,000 feet altitude were reported here today by Kenneth Arnold, Boise, Idaho pilot, who said he could not hazard a guess as to what they were. Arnold, a United States Forest Service employee engaged in searching for a missing plane, said he sighted the mysterious objects yesterday at 3 p.m. They were flying between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams in Washington State and appeared to wave in and out of formation. He clocked and estimated their speeds at 1,200 miles an hour. It's a nice little clip for 1947. <laughs> yeah. 
In, now, here we go. This is in the AP report. Inquiries at Yakima last night brought only blank stares, he said. But he added he talked today with an unidentified man from Utah, south of here, who said he'd seen similar objects over the mountains near Ukiah yesterday. It seems impossible, Arnold said, but there it is. So I go on to describe how, uh, you know, this this hit big time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the next day, an associated, and I mean big time in American media. By the way, this is, again, let's set the stage. 1947, we're in a post-war period. Yeah. We've just come out of a II. bad time. The, uh, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg had not yet been tried and um, put to death for... Uh, sharing secrets with the Soviet Union, but we were concerned about the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. The Cold War was kicking in, mm -hmm. so uh, we were nervous. And meanwhile, un undocumented aerial events. Yeah. There was a bad case of Cold War jitters, post-war jitters. So put that in into the mix um, as a big part of it. So the next day, an Associated Press story carried this follow-up lead. Army and CAA spokesman expressed skepticism over a report of nine mysterious objects big as airplanes whiz, whizzing over western Washington at 1,200 miles an hour. Uh, this is interesting. Within days, Kenneth and Dor Doris Arnold's Boise, Idaho home was besieged by reporters seeking additional details about the nine mysterious craft. Mm. I can't begin to estimate the number of people, letters, telephone calls I tried to answer. After three days of this hubbub, I came to the conclusion that I was the only sane one in the bunch. <laughs> um, it, it led to a lot of mocking. Mm -hmm. It led to a lot of, uh, by the way, it led to other reports of similar sightings. So there we have immediately one of the major motifs. Uh, uh, is this a phenomenon, is, this, is what was cited something in fact real? And, and there was no doubt he saw something. Yeah, yeah. And he reported as accurately could, mm -hmm. seeming events. Other people reported. Uh, this then leads to bunkers to say, well, this is classic copycat theory, mm -hmm. copycat behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, people see what they want to see because they've been told something like that has been seen. And by the way, what was seen by Mr. Arnold is not even sure. So we have copycat reports. That's one approach. Mm -hmm. Another approach says what Arnold saw was something apparently real. And other people are empowered to either begin saying what they saw too. Can you think of a lot of reasons why not to say that you oh, saw absolutely. this? I can think of a yeah, lot of reasons. I probably wouldn't. And yeah. in fact, Arnold, I don't know the back, back story. I don't know how he came to... He must have been terribly um, uh, innocent. Like, oh, I mm -hmm. should say what I saw. He, I'm sure he came to conclude that if he did, uh, if he could have done it again, he might have kept it to, kept it to himself. Yeah, I'm sure. So... Uh, let me just, uh, he said, if I saw a 10-story building flying through the air, I would never say a word about it. Half <laughs> the people I look at see me as a combination of Einstein, Flash Gordon, and Screwball. For its part, the Air Force could find evidence of only the third category. In a private memorandum, an Air Force investigator reported to his superiors that the anointed father of the flying saucer had become, quote, practically a moron in the eyes of the majority of the population of the United States. So... Uh, that's the first event. Okay. That's the start of in in in, mytho in mythological terms that would be in a creation story. That's okay. the. I was uh, going to say, was that sort of the first popular event in America? Yes, and in a, in a Maybe in the world. and when in a, in a society where mythology is alive. Yeah. And it doesn't. And by the way, in societies where mythology is alive, 
they don't call their myths myths yeah, no. because they too, it's the truth of the ancestors. <laughs> yes, yes. So in a yeah. so-called, what shall we say, a primal society, I don't like the term primi- primitive, mm-hmm. but in a tribal society, yeah. uh, what would be called third world, I generally would say, why aren't they called the first world? They seem to have been here before we were. Why, aren't, <laughs> why isn't the first world called the third world? But so in a tribal society in New Guinea, mm-hmm that tell the stories of how the tribe came to be and the ancestors in the original times flew down to earth. And that is told to every successive generation. The, the, the originating story is held to be true. Mm-hmm. The dichotomy between true and false is not even a concern. That is the myth, that is the meaning giving story. In the same way that you could say Genesis See, Christians, Genesis, as some Christians would say, is a literally accurate account. Yeah, yeah. Well, every culture believes their myth is literally accurate. Uh-huh. So that's an analogy yeah. between the tribal mythology and, and this is why the person took issue with Joseph Campbell. You're saying religion is a myth. You're saying uh, the Old Testament is myth. Campbell would say, yes, mm-hmm. it's a myth. It gives you meaning. That Well, of course, it's meaning because it's true. So no one is saying yeah. when I say this is mythic, there's no doubt that Kenneth Arnold existed, yeah. but his story became the progenitor. It became yeah. the first. Mm-hmm. It became the primary event in a what would emerge as a debate about these that developed a lot of recursive styles of debating mm-hmm. that resemble a mythological um, a mythology. Yeah, yeah, and it seemed to have blown up. It was it was like something about as you were saying too. I think. I really like the idea. We explored a little bit in the podcast last week of when something is ethereal, right? What's that dark thing around the corner? You know, you kind of get a little glimpse of it, of a little shadow, and then the brain fills in. It's got to be the scariest thing possible. It is a tiger. It is a whatever. And then you go and it's a chair, right? Right. So so, so that shadow of the the unknown. So we're primed. We're looking for, for Russia to come in and drop the atom bomb, right, at that time in history. And and so you see something that's unknown, and we run with what's the scariest possible thing that it could be? A ship from another planet, a, sh- a ship from another species coming in, right? So it, it was like something about American culture at that time. It seemed to be primed for that. And yeah. in many religious traditions, as you probably know, some of the Eastern traditions, there's a famous um, teaching story about the um, rope, Mistaken yeah, yeah, yeah. as a snake. As a snake, yes. So in the dark, a what appears to be a snake. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's a snake. But in fact, it's a rope. Yeah. So it, this is a, it's a very simplistic um, metaphor for what I'm really looking at yeah. in this book. It, it, there is a see, there is a rope. Yeah. The UFO phenomenon. It, there's something there. Yeah. Now, is it matter? That is to say, is it a physical event? Uh-huh. It appears to be a physical event. Is it? Does it involve a degree of technology that uh, seems to have surpassed a lot of our stuff about the speed of light? Apparently so. Yeah. If so, how do they manage, to, if they are from where, wherever they're from, they come in and manage to navigate seemingly in our domain, but they appear to have mastered a whole lot of stuff. They're able to travel through our, yeah. our region. So maybe our region has more dimensions that are always here that we don't, we haven't, our science hasn't recognized them yet. Mm-hmm. UFOs, well, let me, so let me go, <laughs> let, let me pause and say, as to this theory that there might be a phenomenon that has been going on for thousands of years and that that in the modern era has taken the form of UFOs because 
It fits the belief system of a spacefaring people. Okay, let me then, this is the next thing I cover. Half a century earlier, between November 1896 and May 1897, thousands of people in 19 mostly Western and Midwestern states, and let me pause, and this is 1897, um, around the time William Jennings Bryan and William McKinley were running for president. I mean, this is before the turn of the 19th, late 1800s. People we barely in, got thousands electricity. Of people in 19 mostly Western and Midwestern states reported seeing dirigible-type cylindrical airships sailing through the skies. Because this was five years before the Wright brothers' famous experiments with heavier-than-air flight at Kitty Hawk, these reports caused a sensation not like, not unlike, the early response to flying saucers. Mm. Today's UF. Now here's the interesting thing. Today's. By the way, these were reported in newspapers at the time. They weren't photographed because I don't what the f photography. Well, it, you know, Matthew Brady had developed the uh, in in the Civil War, but I don't believe these were photographed. But they were widely reported. Now they would be considered folklore. It's sort of you know, people were seen it. Well, what were they drinking, folks? Yeah, what yeah, were they? Uh -huh. They the airships. They saw them in over. Peoria, Illinois. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw it, too. I yeah. saw it, too. <laughs> Couldn't be. It's yeah. nonsense. It's Satan. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. devil. It's of the devil. <laughs> and again, interesting, five years before the Wright brothers. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a certain way in which it a slight... Uh, well, anyway, I, do I know that these occurred? No, but they were widely chronicled at the time. Now, what makes this relevant is today's, let me read again from the book, today's UFO researchers remain characteristically divided concerning this late 19th century phenomena, some attributing the sightings to contagious rumors and deliberate hoaxes, others arguing that at least some of these aerial events emerged from the same mysterious dimension beyond time and space, as did their eventual descendants flying saucers. Let me summarize that a little better. A lot of today's UFO researchers, they say, oh, that was just folklore. It takes away the attention from the unique, discrete qualities that we're looking at here. And when you expand the framework to include merely mythological events from the 1800s mm -hmm. uh, that did not behave like today's saucers. So their whole argument is, see, it's very important. There becomes a secondary emotional need. Yeah. If you have a phenomenon that appears to be, I mean... It, you're convinced it's flying saucers, and it started in 1947. Another researcher says, I'm of the mind that these spaceships from 1896, these dirigibles need to be included in the pattern. Mm -hmm. The UFO ET people say, oh, no, 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 no. You're just stew-pot thinking. Yeah. You're stewing, and next we're going to have fairies, elves, <laughs> and leprechauns. Well, by the way... Yeah, there's been a lot of those sightings. Too. This is, what, and this <laughs> is a part of a theory that claims, while it seems nonsensical to... to to recite elements from what we would call just folklore. Mm -hmm. We don't know how much of just folklore at the time reported real events that were shaped according to the Irish perspective. In other words, mm -hmm. I wasn't there. There may have been fairies, yeah. dwarves, leprechaun, little people. Uh, and there were aerial events then too. So. This is the maddening quality of the UFO. Yeah. It's 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 what I call the protean phenomenon. This, and we'll get into that in a yes. second. So yes. let me conclude this. Uh, but while there was so debate about whether the the uh, the spaceships of the eight eighteen the the flying balloons of the eight, late eighteen hundreds should be in the same category, um, 
as today's flying saucers. But in terms of what Carl Jung was to describe as a modern myth of things seen in the sky, there can be no doubt, no doubt that Kenneth Arnold's legendary sighting did indeed mark the official beginning of what we call the UFO phenomenon mm. as a seemingly discreet and unique and new event. In the mythological sense, yeah. the Kenneth Arnold stuff does begin the display of the E.T. interpretation. Mm -hmm. I introduced the spaceships of the eight, the, the aerial events of the late 1800s just to prefigure and to foreshadow that there is a well thought out view that actually uh, they belong in the same category and they were looking at something that has been involved in religious miracles. Yeah. The reason I call my book Angels and Aliens is because angelic encounters in previous centuries in the Middle Ages are strikingly similar to the interactions oh, yeah. between humans and aliens. Uh -huh. So again, modern UFO researchers say, oh, well, that stuff's just mythology and that's just religious. If these are real spaceships. From a wider perspective, these are all examples of an interaction between humankind yeah. and other kind. Yeah. And there is a protean quality to the other kind that allows them to take the shape and form of the prevailing belief system of, of a time such that the inhabitants of that belief system think this is real and yeah. that other stuff is just myth. Yeah, which is so funny because so it would be so weird if in the history of the universe the only or we'll say in the history of of humankind that they only decided to come 1947 on like of course you know they would have been here from the beginning of you know humans all the way back before even earth right if you think of the the probability of um the age of this universe or we could say the multiverse and you can just get way the hell out there of the possibilities of how long, right? The chances of us being the only life is so minuscule and the chances of being the first or most advanced is very, very minuscule. So to me, I see, I see what you're, I see kind of what you're pointing out, at least what it is for me is that the ones who say it's 1947 on, there's a fundamental, uh, ness to it, a religiousness to it that, well, we, we can't really, prove anything from their back so we're just gonna suppress it we're gonna call it noise we're gonna ignore it we're gonna create it a shadow where as i was saying the the theory of everything well it, it of course they would have had to have visited in other times and here's a whole lot of examples of how people during those times with their conception of reality right w would have interpreted it it's so funny that i mentioned robert anton wilson before we started recording because have you heard of the idea of reality tunnels Reality tunnels? Yeah, yeah. So this is a... No. I, I don't know if he was the one that came up with it, but he's where I heard it and he kind of popularized it, that everyone has a reality tunnel. So your reality tunnel is is created by your conditioning, by you can only ever um, understand or accept things that you have previously encountered, right? And that creates your reality tunnel. So you're seeing a tunnel and there's a whole lot of other shit outside of the tunnel that's going on that, you know, the, the, per, the tribal guy in Papua New Guinea has his little reality tunnel based on his, you know, experience of reality and conditioning. And the, the, uh, quantum physicist out of MIT has his own reality tunnel in his, right. And, and so think of the reality tunnels of people in the 1890s of people in, you know, the, 
500 BC. Go further, further back. So with that real within that reality tunnel, you see a unexplainable phenomena, and then you you know you interpret it and and you create your own myth mythology around it. So the only book on aliens I ever want to you know engage in is going to be one that at least explores. Of course. You know, it's not going to be the slice 1947 to today. It's going to be the slice of all of human history and beyond, right? And and how can we how can we make sense of that? And how can we um, shift from reality tunnels? Let's imagine what it would be in, in this case. In this case, or maybe even reality tunnels that no humans can even tap into yet. Yes, and uh, there's just a way you're you're getting at. Uh, how uh, we 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 must assimilate new stuff in terms of categories that of ca of cognitive categories yeah. that we use. That we cannot use. not do that. Yeah, yeah. And yet, uh, and so if we're looking at a phenomenon that is somehow part of a larger set of well, I mean, here's an analogy. Psychedelic drugs. That's yeah. I can't help but continually think of that. Well, I mean, and and this, uh, I don't deal with psychedelics in this, but what 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 happens in psychedelics? Unlike other drugs, other drugs, I don't believe psychedelics obviously should be in the same category. They should not be on Schedule One. I mean, what a what a great I mean, that's a whole lot larger conversation. What a great mistake we made with the panic in in response to Tim Leary and his antics mm -hmm. um, in criminalizing all psychedelics they don't belong in the same category with other drugs because they they you know as uh, Aldous Huxley as William Blake said they cleanse the doors of perception yeah. if everything when the doors of perception are cleared everything is is seen as it is infinite well there's a way in which psychedelics you know LSD not solely but ayahuasca psilocybin appear to expand uh, they they sort of override the brain as a re reducing valve and you get a larger people come back from LSD and other psychedelics in a way that you don't come back from from cocaine and heroin oh, yeah. and meth you just have a <laughs> you you know you work for four days straight on cocaine which is not a very appealing ad you know sleep for four days yeah. or I think I'll pass on that drug but LSD everybody comes back the psychedelics and said that felt more real yeah it's consistent with what's here, but I saw more of what is here. Yeah. And then you come back, mm -hmm. and the the reducing valve of the brain, the reality tunnel shrinks. The reality back tunnel, yeah. and you don't fully remember everything you saw out there, and and you actually say to yourself, that's because I saw more, and I don't seem to be able to hold it in this body. I saw more of what's infinite. Well, with that as a metaphor. Yeah. What if the UFO phenomenon is that rich, writ large? Yeah. I mean, there is one of the prevailing motifs of the UFO world is the crashed saucer motif of Roswell, New Mexico, and other places. I cover that intensely here, and I'm not going to go over it. You know, you can find stuff on Roswell. The crashed saucer thing is. It sounds great. I mean, I, I often, I've often said if I were to listen to uh, one jury presentation of advocates of the Roswell crashed saucer landing, mm -hmm. if they had the morning between nine and noon to brief the jury on why that did happen, I'd probably say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it did. It's unbelievable. And they covered it up and yeah. they put out two cover stories and they withdrew one of them. 
And then I'd listen to the afternoon between one and four. Yeah. The debunkers, and including other, uh, including many UFO uh, researchers who think it's a real phenomenon, mm -hmm. but the, oh, God, Roswell was a wild goose chase. Yeah. In any case, you'd uh -huh. hear the debunkers say, what happened at Roswell didn't happen. Yeah. And that is why uh, that builds into my, so Roswell, great myth. Roswell yeah. survives. Yeah. Roswell is a major chapter in the UFO mythology. Mm -hmm. And I am obviously sidestepping. Uh, I'm not, I did not, I did not in my chapter on Roswell, I did not evaluate both sides and say what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Because I, first of all, came to realize I, I don't have any firsthand stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, a lot of the 90 year old military guys they're finally ready to come forward and they but they they can't tell the full story because their ndas are still in effect their non-disclosure agreements <laughs> well i don't think the government is actually going to go after 90 year old yeah in any case there's always something that stops and by the way where's the metal well there are uh to those who may be listening who or might be a little frustrated that I'm not taking all this more seriously. Maybe some listeners in the ET nuts and bolts camp. Yeah. There is a, there is some there are some compelling arguments out there that there have been what are called meta metals that have been recovered, and oh. they have been studied. Where they're being I held, never I never that. can yeah. kind of find out, yeah. and I never can get anyone to tell me where are they being studied <laughs> and why haven't they been. What kind of studies are being done? Can't yeah. they decide if it is chrome? Was it a hubcap from a flying saucer? <laughs> so the metametals are out there. I don't pre pretend to have any current people in counterintelligence. There have been many who have studied this phenomenon, and it's not often not clear why. There are, there's been a great deal of government interest. I think they're trying to understand partly how this is conditioning people, and they're trying to figure out who's got what. It's a little bit of a Keystone Cops thing. Yeah, uh, yeah I was just thinking that, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, cat and mouse game. It's an interesting, yeah, little dynamic that's going on there. So oh, by, the, by the time the 50s were over, there were those who believed it was a... a that we there were books that were published the ufos are here it is an extra uh, uh, former military people came out and wrote popular books claiming it it is et uh -huh. so they should well that guy couldn't have said it if it wasn't true yeah, yeah. other military people put the kibosh on that yeah, yeah. and so there is this pandemonium and that is what uh, i want to uh, touch on here um how could a phenomenon lend itself to so many seemingly contradictory interpretations at the same time? This question signals that it's time to draw back into the mythic imagination and make the acquaintance of one of this epic's leading players, even though he seldom appears as himself. His arrival during the previous chapter wasn't even noticed, even though his role in the opening scenes was a major one, as, will, as it will be in many episodes to come. I'm speaking of the Greek god Proteus the son of Okeanos and Tethys. His dwelling place was the depths of the sea, whose changeability he mimicked in his remarkable capacity to change himself into myriad shapes and forms, a lion, a panther, swine, serpent, or if desperate, the contours of water or flame, in order to avoid those who would press him to demonstrate his prophetic powers. As the psychologist James Hillman put it, Proteus's ceaselessly changing image that could take on 
any shape or nature representing the represented the multiple and big and ambiguous form of the soul. Mm. Let me go on. Ufologist, and by the way, that is the informal term that is used if you're a UFO researcher, you are a ufologist. Okay. Okay. Ufologists seeking to verify the protean UFO's extraordinary nature have found themselves rewarded often to their display with similar aesthetic riches. Arnold's splendid image of nine celestial objects undulating like saucers skipping over water. Captain Mantell's fateful pursuit of an object described by witnesses as an ice cream cone topped with red. Torpedo-shaped wingless craft trailing a massive flame as it caromed by an eastern airline flight over Alabama. Balls of light dancing on the wings of aircraft during World War II, which were known as Foo Fighters as the singing group, the Foo Fighters, took their name. There were balls of light dancing on the wings of aircraft during World War II. Pilots would say, what the hell is that on the wings? So there is a robust subterranean Mm -hmm. reservoir of of phenomena that this, this master phenomenon under the acronym UFO has collected into itself. And that's what I saw as the story that I wanted to tell, not to to shake it all out. And although if I could find, I'm, I'm an empiricist like the next person. I yeah. love empiric, but I found that empiricism I wanted to cover was a different kind of empiricism, namely yeah. the empiricism of, yeah, this is what's going on. It's driving people crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's undeniable. <laughs> yes. And that, yeah. how a phenomenon can make us crazy. But there are limits to this God's expressiveness. A passage from Homer's Odyssey states that those who seek to learn from Proteus must, quote, grab him steadfastly and press him yet the more. So every UFO researcher grabs hold of some, press, give me your details, Mm -hmm. give me your data. Mm -hmm. The UFO phenomenon is the best explanation. No, 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 this is a phenomenon that has changed its shape and form, and we can find evidence of that. Press, you know, let's get Proteus, we want Proteus to give us his secrets. This has been, this is the, and I use Proteus, obviously, metaphorically. Yeah. It's a a figure from mythology. So Proteus, we refer to Protean, it's an adjective now. Mm -hmm. We say, it's a very Protean phenomenon. Yes, yes. Protean, P-R-O-T-E-A-N. Yes. So, yet Joseph Campbell offers this important detail. This wily God never discloses even to the skillful questioner the whole content of his wisdom. He will reply only to the question put to him, and what he discloses will be great or trivial according to the question asked. Now, let me go on with that. So what Campbell is saying, if you get hold of Proteus yeah. and you press him, tell me your full story, Proteus, he will never fully disclose. He'll change the subject. He'll change form. He's, was a, he was a swine, and now he's a, you know, I forget all of the examples, a swine, a serpent, or desperate. He would become the contour of water or fire. So every UFO researcher grabs the phenomenon and says, tell us your full story. From this perspective, each hypothesis seeking to explain the UFO phenomenon as extraterrestrial visions, visitors, misidentification of Venus, Soviet weapons, U.S. weapons tests, products of disturbed minds, and so on, each of these hypotheses can be taken as a particular, as, as, as coming from being asked a particular and limited question put to the UFO. So the UFO researcher convinced that it is spacecraft from outer space as, it's, as it could pl- 
plausibly be, mm-hmm. finds from the phenomenon details that support that hypothesis. Right. They're not being dishonest. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. It's shaped, it's shaped, it fits the shape of what works for them mm-hmm. and seems consistent with their... And then there are all of these other missite. There are there are valid, you know. There's two approaches to to criticizing UFOs. One is the skeptical, which I a true skeptic is a scientist who says I'm not buying it. Yeah. There are also debunkers. Mm-hmm. The debunker is that class of scientists who hang on the edge of this phenomenon, who will, who are committed to who are as committed to debunking it, as some believers are into believing so the debunking uh, truly debunking mentality is as inappropriate to this as a hardcore believer saying it could only be this but a true skeptic now a true skeptic says um it just doesn't line up for me yet yeah i love that distinction that's a really great point yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you could say a debunker is, you know, absolutely there is no evidence of uh, paranormal phenomena. Well, actually, that's not even an accurate statement. There is evidence. You don't find it valid. Mm-hmm. A skeptic, uh, a, a materialist-oriented uh, scientist would would look at the the uh, evidence for what's called psi phenomena, uh, paranormal phenomena, clairvoyance, uh, distant viewing. Can people see what's going on two thousand miles away? Actually, there's some fairly decent. It yeah. appears that vision and perception is literally not limited to the body. Yeah. But it's not slam dunk either. No. So a true skeptic says, I'm not and there are some interesting, you know, run some more run some more studies. I love that. Do more samples. Yeah, I would say and I think I think we've talked about this. I identify as a skeptic even, you know, I, I as I said last week, I went through an atheist phase very very skeptical and then what i loved about non-duality within all the different spiritual you know paths or or ideas was that it's a skeptical view it's what is subjectively true for me in this moment right and and i i can see that too in the skeptical view of the the ufo phenomenon of what is what is what is objectively true what could be objectively true because the debunkers there's something so cheap, and Joe Rogan talks about this too. Like, if your entire goal is just to prove why something's wrong, you can prove why anything's wrong. We don't know what the hell's going on. As I said the other day, Sam Harris says, "Look at your hand. Do you know what it is?" Literally, look <laughs> yeah. at your hand. Literally, look at what it. What is it? What if is you... it? Explain it. Okay, here, here's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Ask a six-month-old baby. Yeah. Show it your hand and say, "What is this?" Yeah. And you're gonna get squirt sounds and yeah. boo boo blah 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 blah, and it's gonna be filling its diaper yeah. and so on and so forth. And to the degree that it registers, that infant registers the hand, it will be a blur. It'll be a dance. We'll say it'll it's be, all noise, no signal. It'll be all noise yes. and no signal. And by the way, that child has not yet distinguished himself as anything other than the whole universe. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no sense of self. Yes. And by the way, that is not a failure of development. No. The development of an idea of a separate self, as you and I have engaged a conversation, is itself a, a problematic. It's it's uh, there's not much evidence for actually where is this yeah, self. Yeah. So the difference between us and the child about the human hand is we have since developed a lot of categories and concepts. We've learned to speak language, and so I will say, well, this is a an appendage uh, with these uh, what are they called digits? These are called fingers. Um, the flesh is uh, functions with the nervous system and the bl- so I categories can, on. But these are terms. Yes. They're not bad terms. You want to study this is the physio- physiology and physiognomy and biology mm-hmm. are are reputable uh, subjects. Yes. But 
at the end of the day, we don't know what this is, no. this hand. We have a term for it. It is a mystery. Yes. And, well, ultimately, you could say that is what I, that is, I'm not taking that vast. The UFO phenomenon is a mystery. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not yet explained. But the drop it down a few notches beyond just the pure mystery is the, you know, the um, Tower of Babel. This is a, ufology is a Tower of Babel. Yeah. That, uh, people are not all speaking the same language yes. and they are debating what is this right there mm-hmm. is um yeah you're not going to find coherence there yeah it, there, there's going to be a whole lot of talking right past each other and and it's it's all again it's like a tribal kind of fundamentalist um quasi-religious thing at that point and we ain't getting anywhere at that point you know and and i and i Again, I see you as the kind of outsider that took a very um, in-depth look at every single angle. And a very inclusive look. And a very inclusive. I, I, I don't think I ridiculed anybody, and I wasn't even... I, I was. One review said Thompson has a wry analysis and a, and a wry writing style. There were times that I you know, kind of showed my um, uh, ironic yeah. stance toward some of the... But I, I wasn't trying to... Um, I, I tried to create a purview for it, and, and mm-hmm. I, but I tried to frame it in this, the um, muchness of it, the too much of, not, uh, see, uh, my view is the too muchness of it was mm-hmm. not something that was going to be eventually clarified if we just get our handle on it. Yeah, yeah. I came <laughs> to see that the very idea of getting our handle on it was part of the mythology, and yes. it was going to continue to outpace uh, and I deal with it later. What if it does turn out to be something? I'll talk with, you know, something clear. Yeah. But in the meantime, let me actually close this section. Please. Uh, thus, by the end of the drama's first act, and by that I mean around the 1950s and 60s, the debate about is it real? Is there something happening? Mm-hmm. And it, is it E.T. E- or not? Thus, by the end of the drama's first act, the intrepid UFO found itself the subject of seemingly unbounded speculations as it went about transgressing the boundaries between mind and matter, Mm -hmm. spirit and soul, stealing shamelessly from the repertoires of each. During the break before the second act, the ufologists had only to get together backstage and agree on methods suited to dialoguing with a phenomenon whose appearances were too compelling to be ignored, yet also too absurd simply to be taken at face value. I'll come back to that point in a second. That meeting never happened because its necessity was not apparent to the majority of UFO detectives, who were, after all, predisposed to find either evidence of metallic machines or mental malaise, nothing in between. The binary impulse, it can only be this or yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they weren't, many of the ufologists were not interested in accounting for the paranormal. There are UFO researchers who believe it's ET who don't like the paranormal part mm-hmm. because it's too messy. These should just be straightforward space visitors. Well, sorry. Um, if they've got the technology to traverse this large distance, they may also have greater powers of mind. Yeah. And, and when you study what's actually... So anyway, yeah. in the final paragraph here, in the meantime, Proteus permitted himself to wonder whether the those who had elected to follow his tracks, those on both sides could be maybe enticed to shift their own shape. 
Maybe they could be enticed to expand their horizons beyond the dreary one-dimensional debate that had emerged so far. He had his doubts. But in the confusion of the moment, one thing was clear. The shapeshifter Proteus would keep his own scope both broad and deep. He was finding the general pan- <clears throat> he was finding the general pandemonium delightful. So what I do here is simply attribute to per- and personify Proteus as saying, could you guys kind of get that maybe this shape? Sh- I'm a shapeshifter. I'm not any one thing. Yeah. Could you guys come and meet me there? But if you don't, that's fine, because I will continue to confound you. That's what I am. I am this promiscuous principle of too muchness, and I'm finding the pandemonium delightful. I can frustrate you all day. I can and will, and the (laughs) gods, you know, even Greek mythology, the gods love the humans. The gods love the mortals. Uh The gods joked among themselves about what fools they were. And Shakespeare, in his comedies, the, the... the fairies and the other 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 kind would mm-hmm. oh the mere mortals. Yeah. There's many great lines from uh-huh. Shakespeare's great comedies. So there's that recurring theme that so I'm not saying there's a god named Proteus floating around. God mm-hmm. is a prince Proteus is a principle for the pandemonium that was at work in the UFO phenomenon Which with each side trying to get one answer. An exquisite metaphor for it. I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what I, uh, it's what brought me to this. And, you know, actually, what I, let me like take another break and share something um, that's separate from my book. But since I am covering, what is this, fun, what is the, fun, what is actually being argued about? See, I've, I've used broad terms, mm-hmm. um, the ET hypothesis, and, or is it something, is it, are these spacecraft that are consistent with the ETU hypothesis. Are these spacecraft who are coming? That's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Or is this some sort of a larger intelligence that is interacting and effing with us, yeah. screwing with us, <laughs> playing with us? I mean, that that appears to be one of the major debates. Let me tell you why that's why that's the case. Okay. Why there's that kind of debate that can be had. Mm-hmm. We know the phrase "close encounters of the third kind" of from the Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Do people listening to this all know that there are there are there's close encounters of the first kind, second kind, fourth, fifth, and sixth? Close encounters of the third kind, the film by Steven Spielberg, the best, strictly speaking, UFO film of all time. Mm-hmm. It's not the only it's not the best well, I'm I'm not a big fan of alien invader type movies like White House or Independence Day, whatever it's called. Yeah. But Spielberg. Anyway, people never pop, maybe pause to think, what, what is Close Encounters of the Third Kind? What does that even refer to? Yeah. Okay. Well, it refers to a classificatory system that was in place in the early days of UFO research. I'd like to summarize it. Mm. And <clears throat> the um, what's a Close Encounter of the First Kind? Close Encounter of a thir- First Kind, and, and again, this was in the early category, uh, UFO researchers who were attempting to catalog, okay, Mm -hmm. without explaining what this is, what are the different kinds of things going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Close encounters of the third kind. Visual sightings of unidentified flying object. Again, let's just be really something unidentified Mm -hmm. flying object seemingly less than 500 feet away. So it's closer. Further than 500, there are disks and lights. Mm -hmm. But they're so far away we can't, we don't know. Closer than 500... 
they get that close, they show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. So close encounters of the first kind are, quote, the appearance of a spacecraft. Mm -hmm. Now I say appearance because they could be a simulation. It could be a projection. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. You, close could, you could be on mushrooms. <laughs> Yes. It's, it's a bit appearance for you. Or even for those who weren't on mushrooms, yeah. Barney and Betty Hill driving home from bowling yeah. um, interacted with something that appeared to be a spaceship. I've actually talked to people who said, who tell me stories. I mean, it's, it's great. It's a great. When people don't expect me to talk with them all night about this, yeah. which I've had too many of those. Mm -hmm. I have heard some powerful, compelling stories. You know, so I can't believe I haven't brought this up credible, yet. Credible, credible reports. Yeah. Okay, so I, I can't believe I haven't brought this up yet. But so I grew up on my my dad, who has your book, by the way, which I haven't mentioned yet. My my stepdad uh, bought and read your book several times. I knew there was a reader. I'd heard that there had been a reader, <laughs> and, and, uh, and as soon as we got to name him and send him the door prize, because I offered a door prize if I could find one yeah, reader. Yeah, if you if you <laughs> signed the book, it would totally make a day. But okay. as, as you you gave me a copy of the book before we started recording, thank you so much. And as soon as I saw it, I go, this book was in my house when I was growing up, which. That score one for the those leaning on to and the, synchronicities. Yeah, the synchronicity and the the cosmic uh, coincidence going on there. So, um, okay. The well, story you got a report. I, Somebody told you. Okay, uh, uh, Art Bell, George Norrie. Oh, I love Art Bell. You okay? I miss, I I miss I, Art Bell. I can't believe that I hadn't brought. Let me do up. my Art Bell impression. <laughs> Please. From the high desert in the middle of the night, this is Art Bell from coast to coast AM. Yep. Tonight. From the high desert in the middle of the night. I listened to him many when I was writing this What's book. What's the Rockies we got? <laughs> <laughs> Call 1-800-484-3691. East of the Rockies, 1-800-481-3691. It's the same number. <laughs> so I grew uh, up. North of the Rockies, the wild card line, 1-800-482. I mean, man, I when I was doing this book, I listened to Art Bell. Yeah. Did I ever get on Art Bell? I don't think I ever got on. And, of course, uh, he's now gone to his reward. I kind of can't believe you never got on Art Bell. I don't yeah, know if he weird. ever found He would have been. And by the way, you know, his interviews, he would have probably had me on for four hours. Oh, he was yeah. 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. Yeah. And you yeah. had to be willing to be able to keep talking because you probably were drinking coffee and, and take yeah. callers. Yeah. Art, I like your guest. I will tell you this when my wife and I. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I, again, this this is. We got it recorded. That was the first time I brought up that I grew up on Coast to Coast. I didn't grow up on it, but it was a nice little treat that if I happened to be up late, you know, I, my, my stepdad and I, we listened to Coast to Coast together. And I listened back <laughs> into the Art Bell days, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, until today. Every now and then, if I'm up late, if I'm working late, if something's going on, I don't even know what channel it's on, but I'll come across it. And he's still doing it. I, I mean, as recent as a Someone recent, is hosting it. Yeah, it's not George Norrie anymore. George, no. It's somebody else. Oh, uh, Nap. Somebody from, uh, uh, Nap from, I believe his name, from a Vegas. He's, he's um, you know, we're never going to get another Art Bell. Art yeah, Bell, he does the, the, he's from an era of radio that is gone. Yeah. But they're keeping the, the idea, sort of paranormal, mm -hmm. UFO. So, so that is, I heard a lot of stories as a little kid that was like, damn, that is a good story you know yeah. and obviously i'm hearing it over the radio and i'm a kid and you know maybe if i heard him today I'd, I'd have a different you know interpretation but i just i was pretty utterly convinced there's absolutely aliens uh they're gonna come any day now and until you know the age of 17 18 when i broke away from the church and all that and then i went to the exact opposite as i you know my rebellion was no no it's all bullshit 
you know, and, and there was something I'd sort of tucked away. And just this week, I'm starting to uh, all the memories of the coast to coast and, and all that. And I listened to an interview with George Norrie, Art Bell's su- successor, um, re- recently. And he his in a way, he was kind of playing almost four dimensional chess in that he was like, I, I understand there was probably people that were deluded, you know, but if I have a welcoming and and I understand that it's true for them. So anyway, what I'm getting at is I would love for you to sit down with Arbel or George Norrie. I could listen to that conversation, you know, well, any Bell's day. Well, Bell's gone. Yeah, Bell's well, gone. yeah. Well, we can resurrect and, it. You know? um, I have yeah. plans to have my conversation with uh, Alan Watts on some, <laughs> on some dimension one of these days. So. Well, let me continue. Yeah. So we've got the Close Encounters of the First Kind, less than 500 ways, so seen up in the air. Yeah. Close Encounters of the Second Kind, a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle. They often, well, like in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you remember Richard Dreyfuss's PG&E type truck. He was a lineman for <laughs> yep. the county, and he yep. drove the main road, uh, and his car was, his engine stopped, and a spaceship landed on top of, of his car. Anyway, interfering with the vehicles, electronic devices, animals reacting, mm. physiological uh, effects such as paralysis or heat or burn marks on the face of a person, physical impressions in the ground. So second kind, they're closer. Mm-hmm. Close encounters of the third kind, and that's what the movie made famous, UFO encounters in which an animated entity is alleged to have been present. To be, These include humanoids, possibly robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. That, 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 prefer, that refers to those who humans are taken aboard. So that's what the movie Close Encounters made mm, famous. Okay. Was the uh what well, the abductions that uh, yeah. that that was um um well no that's not that's not it is, that's actually not yet an abduction. The abductions came later. Uh those who really know what I'm talking um, who know this phenomenon rel probably just realize Keith you're not quite right. Close encounters of the fourth kind are the abductions. Now, here's here's where it gets trippy. Let's say you're a mainstream UFO researcher and you like the idea, you think it makes sense that, I mean, you you can handle the things flying in the sky. I mean, these are just spaceships and they're landing, uh, they they are flying and seem close to the ground. Things change with with close encounters of the fourth kind. Mm. A close encounter of the fourth kind is a UFO event in which a human is abducted by a UFO or its occupants. This type was not included in the original Close Encounters scale. Uh, uh, Let's see. Jacques Vallée argued in the Journal of Scientific Exploration that the fourth kind should refer to cases when witnesses experienced a transformation of their sense of reality so as to include non-abduction cases where absurd, hallucinatory, or dreamlike events. Well... Hmm. What we have here then is something that really crossed the line. Namely, you could say that UFOs were in the sky and they were caught on radar and these appear to be spaceships, but they're now landing and they are. So here's the classic. I I don't know if I can get the details quite right. There's a book published by a leading abduction researcher named Bud Hopkins in the 1980s. The book was called Missing Time Hmm. because it's a great piece of the mythology, and I'm going to use that in a positive way here. Mm -hmm. The mythology took a turn, namely 
ordinary people driving home from bingo. They say, so here's the classic how it works. They're driving home from bingo, and I don't be, be you know, smart aleck about that. They're driving home from it. It's night. It's usually nighttime. Yeah. Usually they are back roads. Mm-hmm. By the way, just listen to what I'm describing, and you can imagine debunkers at every stage. Oh, oh right. yes, the back roads. Nobody else was around to see it. Uh-huh. Well, okay, let me now make a case for, yeah, the the UFO is, in a, is actually not wanting to be seen by everybody. Yeah, Doesn't want to be landing in Manhattan. Okay, Possible. so yeah. uh, so I'm not saying, yeah. I'm just saying I can see both sides. Of course. So they're driving home, and one of them says, what the hell is that? That star is strangely coming close. Yeah, it's very strange. Then the next memory they have is oh i don't know the next day well no sometimes it's waking up in their car along the side of the road the same night Hmm. but several hours later they think they weren't drunk Mm -hmm. something was experienced Mm -hmm. please let me just say that there was an experience they experienced something was it a twofold uh, delusion, delusional. Yeah. There are folies yeah, deux, follies be. between two people. Two people can convince themselves they've been through any. Absolutely. There's missing time. Yeah. Other times the missing time will be days, and 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 Joe or Betty will start to wake up in the middle of the night with a with a nightmare, and it's flashback, quote unquote, flashbacks. Mm-hmm. They're recovering mythic time, missing time. So the premise is, what happens during the missing time? Well, uh, the memories come in, and they they are of the order of an interaction with with humanoid figures, bilateral symmetry, gray the grays and the greens, and some are lizard-like, some are far more human-like. Uh, they uh, they're par- paralyzed, they can't move, mm-hmm. they're terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, are sometimes taken into the spacecraft. Sometimes they say levitated. Again, we're, we're starting to see where even mainstream UFO researchers said, oh, please, this isn't <laughs> helping. We're trying to get this stuff taken seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Why the broader group, well, then, of course, the UFO abduction specialist said, well, this is one thing I'm going to become an expert in. Yeah. So they, of course, pressed the accuracy. And uh, a researcher like, Jacques Vallée, who I think I'll, I'll shift into here in a moment, but said there is something, there is a transaction that takes place. It's not happening at the level that, uh, it's not to say I'm debunking it. I'm not saying nothing happened. Mm-hmm. But there is some kind of a presentation that was made to human beings that night. Mm-hmm. And it's part of an education or training or conditioning program by an, uh, a, human, a non-human intelligence that has vast parameters beyond what we call space and time. He would say, he's addressed, why would this be happening? Uh, it, ostensibly because of, well, we don't know why, but it would, a logic would be, imagine, let's say, we, there, there were beings considerably evolved technologically, and in all the ways that they would need to be to come here. Uh, And they watch human beings with what appears to be still a tribal mentality. Mm -hmm. And and we've managed to have possession of nuclear weapons. Maybe they're a little nervous about this corner of the universe. So are they, is there some kind of a, on the one hand, a non-interventionist live and let live by and large? But uh, 
program to keep you know we're going to let humans run their show i'm just being i'm just blue sky yeah, here exactly. yeah. and this is what some re- I'm, I'm actually quoting re- researchers who, who hold these views mm-hmm. and uh could it be that there is an uh they are trying to slowly induce us to join the space age they're trying to join the trying to induce us to join the universe mm-hmm. at large mm-hmm. It's a rather haphazard way to do it, selectively impregnate the memory systems of individuals. But if, well, I'll get I'll get into why this could be plausible. But so anyway, that's anyway. There's something. These this is a fairly consistent motif. The missing time, it's mm-hmm. recovered, mm-hmm. and then Bud Hopkins in the book Missing Time hypnotized them. He became a specialist at hypnotizing, doing hypnotic regression, mm-hmm. which by the way debunkers love. Yeah, it feel it fills it. It, it steps into the mythology in this way because now we have hypnotist implanting memories. Yeah, of course. So I've got false ba- memory syndrome. I've got baggage with hypnotism because that was one of the things that the cult did was they hypnotized me, they put me in trance. And all I ever remember was pretending like I was hypnotized and going, okay, yes. what do you, you know, I never really remember feeling like I had lost control. I It was kind of heavy because it was like, I have to, put on a good show that I'm hypnotized, hypnotized because if I don't, then there's something wrong with Nick. How come he can't be, how come he can't go into trance? He's resisting. He's right. So I have a lot of baggage with that kind of stuff. Now, having said that Sam, Sam Harris gets into trance and hypnotism. Uh, I, I can't remember who the one expert he had on, but, but it, it is and Stanford, I think is the leading uh, university in the world that, that studies it. And they, they can grade people. Some people, have are a one they're very very hard to hypnotize and i took the test and i was i was actually a two i'm about as and there's people that are a 10 and sam actually said he was a 10 which is so cool with his skeptic and his rationalism yeah and his rationalism right that so so um it it is actually a provable phenomenon which was cool for me because i was convinced it was utter bullshit you know, well, like, and, and there's yeah. so much hypnosis that is like stage hypnosis at uh-huh. carnivals and stuff, yeah, which yeah. is you hypnotize an entire group of people. And there's a demand. This was called the demand characteristic of hypnosis is to induce the subject to want to satisfy the the operator's request. So at carnivals and so forth, of course, you I think if I were in a group and he chose me yeah. to be in the hypnosis, uh, uh, these carnival type uh, hypnotists, I would probably go, it would, it would just be part of a, a play. Yeah. But hypnotism, uh, hip, states of hypnosis are real. It's an advanced form of of persuasion. Uh, our friend, I say I was friend, just say, yeah. our friend, we uh, don't know him, but we're both fans of <laughs> uh-huh. Scott Adams, Scott Adams yep. the yep. Dilbert cartoonist mm-hmm. and a persuasion expert. Uh, he is a trained hypnotist. He comes into, he's a very... Very unusual Renaissance man, Scott Adams. Yeah. But it is a form of persuasion. Yes. And so, but it is as a forensic tool, it is very tricky. And even yes. police departments are careful. They mm-hmm. use it, but uh, it's very important not to implant memories. Yeah. And so, you, when you have the problem with someone like Bud Hopkins, a UFO researcher who was committed to the, you know, with each case he did, he became more convinced it was real and s- subtly managed to lose track of the fact that, you know, you're no longer a, an unbiased researcher. You're inducing hypnosis to prove your theory that the abductions were happening as real-time events. Yeah, it's He'd too say, I've, I've done too many of them not to be down. And you're... So, yeah. and there's also at some point the phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon got diluted by the fact that as the media began to cover the abduction phenomenon in stories, then... 
you might say a certain contagion could yeah. be said. So yeah, There's I had one too. Yeah, of course. And yeah, there yeah. are all kinds of phenomena such as sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. I've had sleep paralysis where you wake up and you're unable to move your body and oh. there's sometimes a perception of strange energies in the room. Uh, that part is hard to say how to figure out, oh. but you have personally. Yeah, I have. Okay, had... maybe that's for another podcast. But that's very interesting. That's yeah, cool. and it yeah. turns out it's pretty. Uh, it's called sleep paralysis, and it's considered a uh, neurological not 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 a neurological anatomy, but it is a brain. It's a sleep state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that somehow the body does disconnect from. The mind, the body wants to. You want to wake up, quote. You want to wake up in your body because you're you. you it's a lucid state. Yeah. You have a lucid state. So that's like many psychedelic. Pe- that's cool, man. Well, many people say, you know, then the re- debunkers say these are forms of sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. These are not real, uh, but it doesn't fit. Yeah. The abduction thing doesn't fit um, a a sheer sleep paralysis thing. So let me move on now. Close encounters of the fifth kind. It's a kind of UFO event that involves direct communication between aliens and humans. This type of close encounter was named by Stephen M. Greer, a researcher, and he goes out into nature, he goes out into mountaintops, he takes people and conducts experiences through intention, uh, calling the ships in. Okay. Uh, it's called a proactive human-initiated cooperative communication with extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, I have met Stephen Greer. Uh, he's actually an ER doctor mm-hmm. from training, but he's pretty far out there. Yeah. He takes. I've never been on one of his things. I don't think I ever had a chance. I think I'm not sure I would have gone. It struck me as pretty creepy. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to call in any. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've read the UFO abduction. I mean, the abduction reports, uh, they're not malevolent, yeah. but they're clinical. Yeah. I don't want to be. Anyway, <laughs> so close encounters. I don't of the want to sixth be sucked kind. into a different dimension to have, <laughs> you know, close encounters of the sixth kind, death of a human or animal associated with a UFO sighting. Mm. Um, okay. Close encounters of the seventh kind, the creation of a human alien hybrid either by sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific methods. Okay. This is a sub-theme in the abduction. Yes, I like it. Because what happens is in the hyper-interest that they show in the reproductive system, they take ovum and sperm and they impregnate. I don't remember the details, how how it's actually done, but they inseminate the human woman Mm -hmm. and then they... Hip, then they okay. Then they reabduct her later when she's pregnant and take the babies. Okay, so okay. again, this there are UFO researchers <laughs> who hold that this is happening. Holy and shit! And some of them are professors, and some of them probably don't get tenure. And obviously, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And so there's obviously women that are saying this is happening are are pregnant. Oh, and they and then they okay and then lose they the lose well then they uh, then they. Uh, the aliens take their babies. I don't know what form. You know, again, there's, mm. you know, there's, there's levitation. There's other, but and then they, they believe they've had a miscarriage, or everybody else believes they've had. Okay, I have to just, just uh, kind of pause and say uh, I yeah. am not, for good reason. I don't want to be totally apprised of this. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it's not something I want to keep in my head. But because it reads so too heavy. much, yeah, it reads too much like sci-fi, and I, yeah. I, I, I tend to sleep well and dream well. <laughs> But <laughs> partly because I don't indulge this level of stuff. Much. But anyway, if I were to be interested and to revisit it, and I, I didn't go deeply into that, um, 
Well, that is claimed. Well, how widely, I don't know. And by the way, we don't hear as much about the abductions anymore. And I've kind of not gotten a good sense about whether that's because they have slowed down or because they're happening and they're no longer reported. I don't know the current status of that. Yeah. Yeah, It's a good, so something that's been, because I know you're out of the scene now. Yeah, you're sort of kind of, certain things have, have sparked your interest, but you're not. You're not, cur- yeah. Right. So, so I, I was thinking kind of similar thing was, you know, maybe uh, part of what's going on is that the the debunker, it's become so tribalized that when the stories come out, they just get so overwhelmingly attacked by, we'll say, UFO Twitter debunker side, you know, that that it there's there there's so much chaos and noise in there that maybe the stories don't get through like they used to because again going back to coast to coast it was four hours of people calling in telling stories about getting abducted telling stories about seeing ufos these are people from all over the country constantly and i and i tend to believe that's probably still going on but the nature of communication with with the twitterverse with you know uh uh, Facebook and social media that maybe it's created so much chaos and noise that those stories don't break through anymore. That's right. You know, it's a possibility. I don't know. It's just something that has been kind of coming to me as we're having this conversation. Well, so now. now let me, having given you this, you know, close encounters from the first to the seventh kind and introduced this most recent, uh, <laughs> the latest piece about the hybrid babies. Um, let me introduce this this researcher named Jacques Vallée. Uh, he's now about 80 years old, lives in here, Northern California. I keep thinking I want to get back in touch with him because I treat him very nicely in my book, and I've seen him since. Uh, uh, he was a break, breakthrough figure because he, as a young astronomer, part of his story is he was working as an, at a observatory, and there was a, an event. There was a UFO. Mm. And... Uh, it was captured on what what shall we say radar uh, that is recorded is on a tape right mm-hmm. uh, I don't know exactly the technology and he became extremely interested in the fact that once this started a hubbub and it was found to have been on uh, radar his supervisor walked into the observatory took over the controls and erased the tape Oh, shit. <laughs> or erased whatever you would call the tape. How's that for an origin story? <laughs> so, young Jacques Vallée... I think i make a movie about this guy, man. <laughs> well, he should have been. He should have... And by the way, he, he consulted with, with Steven Spielberg. I'll come back to yeah, that. Because yeah. Vallée established a kind of standing in this whole thing. So, as a young astronomer, idealistic in how science works, he found that, um, shall we say, discrepant. Oh, okay. What was it about that? He began to... He became an expert on the psychology on psych, uh, sort of the uh, belief systems, why that was done is because it represented something that wasn't allowed. Mm. Now, he, as a young scientist, had the intrepid the view that scientists are intrepid, yeah. and they go where the data, data go. Mm-hmm. And he saw something that completely turned him around on that. Yeah. Instead of being disillusioned and becoming a drunk on the streets of Paris, <laughs> he said, I want to pay attention. I've seen ideology, in effect. I don't know what that was. So, but it was something that was not allowed. It was like Galileo. No, you did not see through your telescope. Mm -hmm. Please repeat that or we're going to put you in the dungeon. He said, I have seen through the telescope. The earth does not revolve around the sun or the sun does not revolve. We are not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. 
The sun is yes, we are. Yes, we are. That's that's the Valet saw something in, similar yeah. to that. He said we we see this in in science all the time, ideology. So he went on to become an exponent of the ET hypothesis that he said that this is probably these are spacecraft. But then he began to really look at the logic of that argument. And I'm going to now I'm now going to bring him into the story. <clears throat> Jacques Vallée, who formally enters this story in Chapter 9 as a leading analyst of UFO patterns, has speculated about the symbolic meaning of the contradictions within the larger body of witness reports. Now let me pause right here and simply say to listeners, you just heard me give you the, the, the uh, close encounters of the first to the seventh yeah. kind. They get increasingly bizarre mm -hmm. as they go out. Yeah. So with that in mind, Vallée looked at all this and says, this can't be taken entirely at face value anymore. There's something coherent to this, mm -hmm. but it is something a little more complicated. So with that in mind, has speculated about the symbolic meaning of the contradictions within the larger body of witness reports. Quote, if you strive to convey a truth, and by the way, if you, so he's referring to this intelligence. Mm-hmm. If you try to convey a truth that lies other. beyond the semantic level, well, actually, this is not exactly only true of UFOs. So I'm going to just let the statement yeah, please. stand for itself. In any communication is what he's saying. If you, tr if you strive to convey a truth that lies beyond the semantic level made possible by your audience's language, he observes, you must construct apparent contradictions in terms of ordinary meanings. This, Valet suggests, is what the UFO phenomenon accomplishes by speaking a double language. Now, here's the key for Valet, and I came to identify with this myself. As I said, while I love the pandemonium that's going on among the researchers, there is something going on that is not reducible to what the debunkers say. So I'm in the school, anybody with a doubt. Yeah. I... I do take the stand that there is something anomalous going on. I just think it's probably more complicated than nuts and bolts. Uh, so yeah. here's what Valet goes on to say. By projecting images just beyond the belief structure of the target society. Hmm. Okay, imagine right there. The UFO phenomenon <laughs> is projecting images just beyond the belief system. There's spacecraft, but we have space, we have airplanes. Uh-huh. But it's a little... In 1896, yeah. just before the Wright brothers got this two-winged biplane thing barely up to... Um, dirigibles appear five years before. So it strangely is close to what the humans are already doing in their technology. To make... To, to stretch that belief system to... By projecting yeah. images just beyond the belief structure of the target society, mm. meaning humans, the phenomenon, quote manages to disturb and reassure at the same time, exploiting both the gullibility of the zealots and the narrow-mindedness of the debunkers. Manages to disturb and reassure at the same time. The debunkers say this can't be happening, so it's officially disallowed. Yeah. In the academy, there's no, there's no department of UFO research in any major university, nor should there be, arguably. Mm -hmm. It's not amenable to that. Yeah. But in any case, the intelligentsia, scientists, Carl Sagan, yeah. uh, 
media figures, oh, very derisive toward the UFO phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So it at the level, um, by pre- projecting images just beyond the belief structure of the target society, manages to disturb and reassure at the same time, exploiting both the gullibility of the zealots and the narrow-mindedness of the debunkers. A constant factor of absurdity, quote, leads to a rejection of the story by the upper layers of the target society. Scientists say, oh, this is nonsense. Uh, The abductions couldn't be happening. But while they, the arbiters of reality, who erase tapes in observatories saying this isn't happening because it can't be, which I can understand the mindset of the arbiters of, you know, every paradigm, every society has a paradigm that is, allows what's allowed. Yeah. And, and there will be behaviors like we erase the evidence because we're not there yet. Yeah. So it leads to a rejection of the phenomenon by the upper layers of the target society and an absorption at a deep unconscious level of the symbols conveyed. So the... Authorities dismiss, but the folk Mm -hmm. out in the hinterland, Mm -hmm. in reality, uh, maybe I'll drive home tonight and I'll see something that I can't explain. I'm not going to call it into the Air Force. The point is, there's a disjuncture between what is officially disallowed in in terms of the the sightings I just covered, uh, close encounters from the first and seventh kind, but there is nevertheless people all, somewhere tonight in America, I will tell you this, somebody is having a very good UFO sighting. Oh yeah. Uh, The local press press won't cover it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be, they will, someone will take an iPhone tonight and get a picture of something streaming across the sky with the the resolution won't really work on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. But 10 people saw it and three were drinking but seven weren't. The point is yeah. it's going to it's going to land in the unconscious. Yeah. This is landing. So there's a disjuncture in this phenomenon between the uh, the populace that actually is being seated but uh, is is, inter- is continuing to interact with everything from the ones that are high in the sky and probably abductions at whatever the level the abduction is. So Valet is saying uh, this is a phenomenon that is that is projecting these images. That's what he claims. Yeah. It's project. So no, in fact, the UFO that lands, that hovers outside my uh, someone's house tonight uh-huh. and then <laughs> brings them out through the windows uh-huh. Uh, and nobody else in the neighborhood sees a mothership the size of something Steven Spielberg did. Yeah. Um, that probably is not happening at an event level. If you're driving down the event level reality, if you're driving down the street, you're not going to see it. Now, to their credit, some abductees say there are witnesses to the primary. So, uh-huh. so it isn't to say and, anybody's and psych- lying. There could be psychology behind that too. Yeah. There I mean, is. Yeah. There is just. It is a it, it, you can imagine a phenomenon that is trying to influence our way of thinking in a manner that will conceal that it will reveal itself to us in a manner that conceals itself yeah. at in the very display it will do so in a way that conceals tr- evidence of itself leaving people to say I had that happen no you didn't yes I did yes and so there is a growing expectation that something is happening. And then there's also a disjuncture between the authorities. We, we, we become increasingly cynical about uh, scientists mm-hmm. who claim these can't, these, there is a mainstream scientific viewpoint yeah. toward all of this that says it, it isn't happening. They won't say it quite this way. 
it isn't happening because it can't be happening. We know mm -hmm. that there are only this many dimensions. We know that no craft. We know that no... Well, just think of every other um, phenomenon. Um, a frog has a very nervous... This is like a leap here. A frog mm -hmm. has a very simple sensorium. It allows it in a lily pad, in a pond, just enough... It needs to know just enough to slip its tongue out at a rapid speed to catch a fly. Mm-hmm. And it can survive. It does not need to know algebra. <laughs> it does not need to have advanced perceptual abilities. What is it? The the Eskimos have 17 colors for green. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh -huh. the point is uh, the more evolved. See, but so I'm, I'm waxing a bit far out here, but uh, I'm open to the possibility that there is a real phenomenon that is just as much beyond our overall uh, conceptual ability to cognize it as there is the frog uh, the frog can catch that fly. It doesn't notice that there's a barn dance going on uh, in the in the barn next door. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't it's, it hears the music, right? Or there's a hoedown. Yeah. But or there's a bridge game. Yeah. The mouse that chews on the cover of Hamlet in someone's library is not absorbing Hamlet in the same way that a reader <laughs> is. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, maybe we're chewing on a, a cover of a book. Uh, and, and yet it may be this, this technology, this phenomenon, this non-human intelligence that is probably not actually abducting people, but is conveying the sense that it is. Yeah. Uh, because this, the reports are too compelling to dismiss at face value. So I like Valet saying, um, if, you, uh, if, if a phenomenon has the parameters under control to project images that go beyond the... Um, the transcend the logical viewpoint beyond the semantic level, so to speak, yeah. semantic, broadly defined, not just how we speak, but how we even can cognize. Uh -huh. um, Define, yeah. What are these events where people are driving home and they miss time? That's very plausible. I, you know, I, I miss my inner, I miss my turn off on the highway sometimes because I'm so into listening to music. Mm -hmm. I understand how the psyche can can uh, can disappear for long periods. Mm -hmm. And the but, memory coming in too. Is and memory time. I sometimes will drive home. I'm really not amnesiac, amnesiac but I was, my God, I don't do it very often. Yeah. I went way beyond my normal exit because I was really cogitating yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Uh -huh. So that's normal. But um, and in fact, debunker said, "Well, we all have highway. We all have highway hypnosis." Yeah, so, yeah. see, that's that's highway hypnosis. Really, <laughs> uh -huh. highway hypnosis. Yeah, people can get lulled into highway hypnosis. They can also have terrible accidents because they go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry, the phenomenology of the abductions doesn't make sense that they are literally abducted because nobody else sees these spaceship doing it. But it doesn't make sense that it is purely prosaic. So there's some in between phenomenon yeah. and would this be proteus at his most like yeah. i will i will what is the line from first we make them mad uh the, what are the gods first they make the make the humans um proud and then we drive them crazy i forget i forget the, the exact quote mm -hmm. but there is a quality to there is some persistent relationship humans have with some otherness and the UFO phenomenon is part of yeah. that. Yeah, we're yeah now we're getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel it. I can feel it. So so I I as I mentioned to you earlier, I'll be very brief with it. I don't want to get into Ken Wilbur the person, but the idea of integral of um of transcend and include 
I see that this is an integral in, integral book on alien on aliens on the UFO phenomenon of of there's truth in both and what does what is when when we when we you know there's the pre-trans fallacy uh, there's either I I know God's true because the Bible says so how, how do you know the Bible's true because God wrote it how do you know that because it's in the Bible right okay so that's pre-rational then you you reach rational and you say well obviously that's a flawed argument there is no god and then there's ken wilbur would argue and i think even jung might have used this term transrational which yes. is when you go beyond that and you go oh and that's maybe more of the joseph campbell realm of god is a metaphor for a mystery that that you know goes beyond all definitions so i see a a tra- a, a uh, transcending but including it is it is in the chaos of the argument of the debunkers and the those trying to prove that that as your guy Jacques Valet Valet was was pointing to is that what is why would this be happening what is the point well it would make a whole lot of sense that if there was a greater intelligence and it was trying to communicate to a lesser intelligence us humans being the lesser intelligence. It, it it's such a perfect recipe to have it in a way that it's not obvious to us at our level of of belief systems of reality tunnel of understanding it's got to be just beyond it enough so that a whole shitload of people are going to go well let me show you all the reasons why that's bullshit and a whole shitload of people are going to go well let me show you all the reasons of why it could be true and then something is in a very Paul way going over the head as a uh, collective consciousness as a human race that that is and progressing over time that we're learning something from this and it's learn it's teaching us it's now, teaching, teaching i don't not sure i don't like that yeah. i don't like that there is definitely uh, there's a message there being is a, transmitted it, it's a conditioning it's there's a conditioning, conditioning see uh and it could be there there's a message um yeah i i can't help but think of okay you take psilocybin psilocybin has a message it wants to give you right and it's subjectively utterly undeniable that it's not you know it's so as sam says you know in his his um reporting on sam harris uh, sam harris on doing his, his reporting of doing five dry grams in a closet with the blindfold on it's you're utterly convinced it's other. This is not m- me, my consciousness in my head talking to myself. There, the psilocybin is portraying a message. That's the clearest message that you know your so- sober mind is never is never gonna be that utterly convinced as the message that the psilocybin is sending. And it's normally something along the lines of take care of the earth, nature is important, uh, don't trash you know the environment. And and it's and it's something that's that you when when you come down the message is still there you don't have the full scope of when you're in the trip and you don't but have some, the... something comes through and and does stay with you and then we try and it t- can take a long time and can take a lot of discussing to to get where what what signal is left that we can now translate and you know move forward and maybe take better care of the earth yes and i see i see how it's possible that a similar process could be going on with the abduction phenomena. Again, speaking as a guy who's never had any experiences to a guy who's never had any experiences. Right. But th- it's utterly plausible. Why is it still, to this day, such a huge part of our culture, such a huge part of our 
collective unconsciousness consciousness and why does it resonate it's resonating with me so hardcore i'm getting a little too excited yeah <laughs> but i'm getting the the you're pointing to a truth jacques is pointing to a truth that is uh it, it transcends and includes it's an integral it's something beyond rationality that is it feels so fundamental it, it's 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 cool it's fun yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really fun right yeah and that again that way that it uh, projects images that will allow for its formal dismissal in a formal sense yeah it will will not pass muster in the uh, intelligentsia, the mm-hmm. scientific, political establishment, officially, but the images that get disseminated are absorbed at another level of the collective psyche. Yes. So that that is the way it is um, land. It lands, uh, you know, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> yeah, and that literally, these are events. Yeah. And by the way, not just the abductions. I mean, the whole phenomenology from. Close encounters of the first kind. I mean, first they're, they're things that are just seen in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's it's really see it's really all f- seven kinds of close encounter. It's increasingly closer. Yes. With each one, mm-hmm. it's increasingly closer from just and stuff seen lucid. in the sky. Close yeah. CE ones, uh-huh. close encounters of the first kind. Close encounters of the second. They can break branches and leave radar or burn marks on the ground. Close encounters of the third. They do begin to interact. They stop cars. Close encounters of the fourth kind. They abduct people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even a debate within the UFO world about whether, you know, there are some more mainstream fun, uh, researchers who say, I'm only good for the first three kinds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kinds where they can stop cars because they are spacecraft, but the abductions take it too far out. And we and that is going to make, I mean, there's almost primitive arguments. They'll say, that stuff is hard to believe. Well, what's, uh, how about the first kind? Close encounters, you know, mm-hmm. why are discs what, in the sky more plausible? Where do you draw the line and why? Where do you why? draw the line yeah. and why? Yeah, that, that and, and then getting back to, as you, you've, you've hinted towards, what, what the, the your, your argument does such a great job of is not giving you more different, better answers, but better and better questions are pointing to... Okay, what we're really getting at here. Now, uh, since we're playing with this, let me now go with, uh, again, Jacques Vallée showed up in 1969, mm-hmm. and he's now about 80 years old, but he, he began to uh, tweak, he began to, he, he, he established a middle ground. He said the debunkers are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There's something going on. The ET enthusiasts who go to the weekend hobby conferences in St. Louis mm-hmm. about the unraveling the ufo mystery he said they're increasingly they're just zealots the tinfoil hat they're the tinfoil hat (laughs) very sincere many of them (laughs) many of them come from the physical sciences no disrespect but they don't have any only from the physical see the ufo mainstream Mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts crowd who likes the spacecraft as long as they only come so close but when they start to abduct they often are engineers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why wouldn't they of be? Of course, yeah, it makes sense. But they, they never had a psychology class in their life. They never had a mythology <laughs> class. They've never taken sociology. Yeah. So the bless their heart, tinfoil type guys come to UFO conference in the old days, mm-hmm. the mutual UFO network, MUFON. Well, so Valet said a pox on both their houses. <laughs> In 1969, Valet, the consummate scientist, surprised many of his colleagues with his suggestion that UFOs may not be a, quote, scientific problem after all. 
for as modern science is defined. For modern science rules over a narrow universe, one particular variation on an infinite theme. Likewise, Valet said, ufology has become such a narrow field of specialization, focusing on just the narrow, is it spacecraft or not, that the experts have no time left for general culture. He called on colleagues to join him in moving beyond the limited and increasingly obsessional concern with whether UFOs are extraterrestrial in origin and to begin probing the UFO phenomenon's impact on culture and our collective psyches. He said, until it reveals itself as something that we know now, it's what we can study yeah. is its effects on us, and that can be science at its best. Yeah. Well, yeah. the average UFO researcher who's just interested in kicking the, getting the first chance to kick one of these things when it's landed, they're not interested. What? Yeah, they're going to be waiting. I'm doing research just as I would on anything else. No, actually you're not. This is not just like anything else. So he, he said, for Valet, this decision marked a fateful turn away from the hope of finding a simple... Simple and uncomplicated answers about UFOs thus turned him away from the mainstream of UFO research. He began to explore historical, anthropological, and mythic literatures throughout the world. And by the way, that's what I've done in this book and throughout history. They're discovering remarkable parallels. Okay, here we go. Remarkable parallels among the ufo phenomenon as a supposedly space-bearing saucer driving phenomenon between that and religious apparitions the fairy faith reports of dwarf-like beings with supernatural powers the great airship sightings of the 19th century which we've talked about and the modern events called you so he put the ufo in that larger framework mainstream ufo research says jacques you're turning us into a folkloric stew pot here. Mm-hmm. No, but this stuff is too important to be stewed in with all that. He said, I'm not doing it to dismiss it. I'm doing it to put it in a large... I don't think it can be happening the way you say it is. Yeah. So I think it's in the category of that, and I'm not trying to dismiss it yeah. by connecting it with other forms of other kind. I'm trying to place it in fun, in terms that I believe fit the data. So... It's, it was a rare position he was he was yeah. tracking, taking, uh, establishing. Yeah. Um, in one sense, Valet reached a conclusion similar to that of the debunkers. UFOs are mythic. But mm. pay attention here. Mm-hmm. But unlike debunkers for whom myth is synonymous with falsehood and delusion, Valet came to believe the parallels among UFOs and these realms are real and profound. They're mythic. Not because they're false, but because behind them all lies an extraordinary mechanism that shapes consciousness and culture in complex and substantial ways. So in, oh, so he shit. goes on to say, in a book called Passport to Magonia, Magonia was a uh, folkloric realm where, uh, of, the, of a previous century. Okay. So he was actually right there. It's, um, I'm writing a book called Folklore, Passport to Magonia to place the UFO in the same realm with these uh, reports from other decades and centuries. Valet journeyed well beyond the specific frame of reference involving UFOs as spaceship and probed the larger mechanism that generates religious visions, mystical raptures, appearances by supernatural creatures, and flying saucers. He puts the flying saucer Mm -hmm. in that larger context of apparitions, mystical 
phenomena, all relying on the same processes and mechanisms, all sharing similar characteristics and effects on the human observer, depending on the predominant belief structure of a given culture. Ezekiel saw a burning wheel. This is valet. Mm -hmm. Ezekiel saw a burning wheel. In the Middle Ages, angels in fiery crosses and shields appeared in the sky, and a legendary celestial region called Magonia was said to be inhabited by extraordinary beings who traveled in aerial cloud ships, sometimes descending to abduct unsuspecting humans even then, centuries ago. The abduction thing is not yeah. modern. Yeah. That's why he said... It's archetypical. Yeah. It's archetypical yeah. and apparently maybe interacting with our physical realm. Holy it's shit. archetypal, but yeah. in Jung's... See, Jung went very much further than many people know. He did not believe archetypes, archetypes are merely in the psyche. Mm -hmm. They really are the, the buffer zone between psyche and matter. Oh, so... <laughs> So that's so. Let me yeah, we're finish this thought. It, yes. In 19th century America, so in 19th century America, people saw airships resembling zeppelins. Since 1947, we've seen flying saucers. So he's making the yes. point. So <clears throat> just go a little bit further here. Summarizing his extensive familiarity with modern UFO sightings and his growing understandings of parallels between these and myth and history, he put forth five self-evident principal facts. And I think after I stress these, we should pause and just sort of reflect on what we've done. Please. Number one, since the middle of... Now, so this is his attempt to... Let me just kind of put it out, folks. This is what Jacques Vallée has concluded. Since the middle of 1946, among the public and nations throughout the world, quote, an extremely active generation of colorful rumors has emerged. Very nicely put. Yeah. An extremely active generation of colorful rumors. He's not saying they're only rumors, but they are at least rumors. Mm -hmm. They're colorful. Yeah. That's a very uh, unpolarizing way to put. It's putting it out as a matter of fact. There's been an extremely robust <laughs> and active gener generating of colorful rumors has emerged, centering on, quote, a considerable number of observations of unknown machines close to the ground in rural areas, the physical traces by these machines, and their various effects on humans and animals. So he's actually credit. He's saying, we can call them machines. That's how they're reported. Mm -hmm. He's not saying alleged machines. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Number two, the underlying archetypes of the saucer myth coincide to a remarkable degree with the widespread belief among all peoples concerning entities whose physical and psychological descriptions place them in the same category as the present-day euphonops. So essentially, what the UFO phenomenon is generating as current data coincide uh, to a remarkable degree with yeah. centuries past stuff. Number three, the entities reported fall into various biological types, including beings of giant stature, men indistinguishable from us, winged creatures, and various types of monsters. Four, the absurd behavior of the entities, the ludicrous appearance of their craft, and the typically misleading nature of their pronouncements are consistent with reports of human encounters with extraordinary beings throughout history. They serve both to keep professional scientists from taking the report seriously mm. and to give the saucer myth its religious and mystical overtones in the population at large. Finally, number five, the mechanism of the apparitions 
in legendary, historical, and current times is standard and follows the model of religious miracles. So he actually then concludes by saying, not I'm not trying to dismiss the phenomenon and debunk it. I want to place it in the right category. And for, for that conclusion to have been reached, yeah. for, that it is in the category of religious miracles is, shall we just say, very disappointing to the new, you know, to any generation of UFO researchers, many of whom now are physicists. Yeah, oh, yeah. There is a good generation of smart ufologists out there mm -hmm. who are tracking this TV show. They're tracking the <laughs> fact that there is a government agency investigating this. Yeah. That can all be true. That can all be true. Because what we have are fastly careening supersonic events that why would we say that they're not different? Why would we say they are different from Ezekiel's burning wheel? I don't remember the details of Ezekiel's burning <laughs> exactly, wheel. Yeah. I could probably study it. And re but what if what Ezekiel experienced, which we call merely folklore, was at his time and his place the expression this thing took then and now takes yeah. could this be a complete hodgepodge yes it could be wrong valet could be wrong yeah. it could be spaceships and it is discrete and separate from that and only resonant with it because it has parallels narratively that's possible mm -hmm. i would tend to say i would put my money on something like that and at the very least it suits my a sense of, I'll, I don't know. I like, however, the fact, because I have, I too, like Valet, have studied religious stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to place it there to minimize. See, I don't believe placing it in a category of religious miracles, and I'm sure you don't either, mm -hmm. is a way to derogate it. Now, I don't regard, uh, I'm not the kind of, I'm a phenom, I'm an empiricist. Yeah. And religious miracles healings, there's the entire ranges of extraordinary human phenomena in the realms of healing yeah. and mind-matter interactions. Yeah, so to place effect, it in yeah. that is not to dismiss it. It's to say human beings, we need to a broader paradigm. This is a phenomenon that is broader than our paradigm. It doesn't fit our structures. So we say it must be only folkloric. What if our structure... What if the psilocybin experience, maybe UFO researchers, people interested in this phenomenon, as a condition to be researchers should have to take a psilocybin trip. Mm. That's what I I'm would, saying. Yes, I could agree. Because yes. not because... Because the subjective truth, I love this is a new thing, I don't know okay. other people say it, but the subjective truth of a psilocybin experience could be just as real as the subjective truth of of a abductee experience experience right it, we it, only have subjective reports we yes. only have uh, i often hear people say uh, at some point experience should count for something and then i go well wait a minute we don't have anything other than experience exactly. yes there's no knowledge that is other than experience yes. our knowledge of astronomy the most hard physical sciences is only conveyed through the consciousness of the researchers through the conscious if interface. it's not yeah. if it's not registered in and as in consciousness yeah. we don't have any record of it yeah. everything exists only in consciousness yes is there is there a planet called Plato probably mm -hmm. we only know that in consciousness I mean I'm kind of going off on that yeah no the point no, is what if um, yes what if this phenomenon is beckoning us toward and that's what I deal with in a later chapter. Um, 
its beckoning is toward a reckoning with maybe our own larger nature that we that does show up in certain domains. I've talked with you on the phone about this today. There are phenomena in even in, in the contemplative life, serious contemplative contemplatives in history, in the Roman Catholic tradition especially, deeply religious who, who devote their mind and passion toward un, unity with the divine, mm-hmm. experience an entire range of side effects, including the stigmata. They so identify with J- Jesus that they uh, that stigmata appear on their bodies. Mm-hmm. The the imprint of the ability of mind to interact with matter. I mean, I'm really going off on some things now there. But it, it's in that same realm. It, well, it is. For example, yeah. when you have someone like a guy named Swami Rama back in the 80s or so who had so developed his mental powers as a as a swami and as a yogi mm-hmm. that he had learned to on the take his right hand draw a line from the end, the middle finger the fu finger all the way up the arm uh, and right and left side he could change the temperature differential by 11 degrees through mental practice the right hand of his side would be 11 degrees warmer <laughs> than the than yeah. the left side and let me just say if you Maybe oh that was in the 80s. We don't believe the 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 scientists. They didn't you know they didn't take good data. Look at uh, Wim Hof. Look him up. Yes. It's, it's utterly he's been able to regulate his immune system. Things that people were convinced were impossible. He he's scientifically proven. And these so, are and my yeah. and my analogy here with the Swami who right side of his and the hand and the left side 11 degrees. It's not a useful skill. That yeah. wasn't his point. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't saying you should learn to do that. He was saying you can do that. Yes. And it's the mind matter interaction mm-hmm. that allowed him to do it. The implications of it yeah. are larger. Does that give us UFOs? No. no. But UFOs behave in such a hybrid of mental and physical phenomena that, I mean, again, that they people get levitated. Mm-hmm. There is such a range of, of the, suggesting a spectrum between matter, subtle matter, uh, spirit. I mean, yeah. these kinds of things that um, we haven't settled our uh, accounts with reality. It's simply yeah. that. We don't know. We have no. not settled our accounts. No. Uh, and mainstream science isn't interested in the temperature differential of some Swami's mm-hmm. hand. There are more pressing uh, matters. The average working scientist, of course, is interested in practical solutions to, you know, most science is very practical. Yeah. But there are the, the ones, see, Charles Darwin was not a scientist. He was a naturalist. Yeah, he I, was an English I, gentleman I who had enough thing. money, apparently, yeah. uh-huh. I suppose, a trust fund. He was able to indulge this little hobby of his. Yeah. He traveled to the Galapagos Islands, and he collected finches, finch fossils. Yeah. He noticed the fossils of this island were some... He put together evolutionary theory. Yeah. And guess what? To this day, it's accepted. Now, that one is accepted by the Academy. It is. Mainstream science accepts evolution. You know who doesn't? The average person. Yeah. See the average see that's an example of an inverse. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The average especially religious people, they don't like evolution. Yeah, we got no. Because we're not at the center of the you know, we're not yes. a special creation. Yes. But the point is science actually is open to the gentleman Darwin's research mm-hmm. because it actually explains a whole lot. Uh, maybe we need 
a Darwin archetype for this UFO alien? Well, okay, so here's where I've had recent (laughs) debates on Twitter, and that's part of why I think I'm having this conversation with you. Because I've entered into this again against my own better judgment. um, Pulled into it by an invisible force. Yes, that's right. (laughs) But I called you up. So anyway, uh, there was one guy on Twitter the other day saying, official science is in default. Official science is in default because they refuse to study this phenomenon. They're in default. They should be held in contempt. It was this you know, young guy. <laughs> uh-huh. And I said, man, official science isn't going to crack this nut. No. It's not, it's not going to come from the academy. The uh, Stanford Research Institute's not going to. It's going to come from people like Jacques Vallée. Yes. And people who draw people the like larger. People like Keith Thompson. <laughs> people who draw the larger patterns and yeah. can go. And yeah, I help draw. I, I stand for the larger pattern. Yeah. I. And by the way, even if UFOs. I deal with this. Maybe I'll. When we. I go to my closing chapter where I finally sort of make sense of all this uh, as ultimately a, it's a human quest for meaning and it's a human quest yeah. to to get behind uh, and to track you know science evolves through anomalies uh, p- the paradigm you know, we hear that term paradigm shift Thomas Kuhn developed the idea that at a given time and a given age, scientists all work within an established viewpoint. They don't know that it's an established mm-hmm. viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. He called it a paradigm. Mm-hmm. It's a mindset, a worldview yeah. that has practices. And a certain paradigm takes as given that certain things are true and other things are not. Mm-hmm. But and, and then so, he said, he, he, but he talked about how the dynamic of science works. Uh, a, a particular worldview uh, holds until there are anomalies. Yeah. That, that anomalies poke through that, Which and can't when be there are enough anomalies, yeah. it doesn't lead the existing scientists to change their books. Mm-hmm. They wait till those scientists die. Yeah. In fact, Thomas Kuhn gave a very morbid, uh, tongue-in-cheek comment. He said, "Science evolves. Science proceeds by one funeral at a time." Yeah, I've heard that before. Yep. One funeral at a time. <laughs> it meant those who hold to the old view in anything. In any area, social evolution, physical science, the classical view of physics was superseded by the relativistic view, and now the quantum mechanics view. Mm-hmm. It builds on each one builds on the previous, but mm-hmm. it displaces the previous. Yes. Freud is now universally reviled. The, oh, yeah. the, the, the scientist Freud, who was mm-hmm. not a scientist. Yeah, yeah, but that didn't mean we throw out the unconscious because Freud had goofy theories about the unconscious. Mm-hmm. The, the, he had an understanding there are some things that are often below. Yeah. Are uncon- below yeah. our conscious, yeah. but Freud's theories are now held in disrepute because he invented a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But it, it was revelatory at the time and laid the foundation for other people to come along and and give uh, their own scientific uh, empirical take on it, and and it evolved from there. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. And, and, and by even saying there was an unconscious and you could have repressed, opened up uh, a whole new universe, oh, and it ha- the, help account for a lot of Victorian um, repression. Yeah. Uh, and then Jung came along and said, well, uh, Sigmund, uh, you've got it all pegged as the uh, human unconscious, which is a cauldron of all of these uh, volatile forces, and you don't have any place at all for the quest for meaning or the mm-hmm. religious impulse. And yeah. Sigmund said, of course I don't. I'm an atheist, and I threw all that out. Well, that's an interesting revelation. You're an atheist. Well, there's a lot of religion that should be thrown out. 
Atheism is a good cleanup job of a lot of garbage. It's good for crowd control, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but helps. <laughs> but uh, but as for the deeper quests, the archetype. Well, so Jung Jung brought another framework yeah. into play, Absolutely. and. So anyway, what's my point? We we're we're, we're explorers, we are discoverers, yes. and for me, the UFO phenomenon in a, in a period of my life gave me a chance to use the UFO as a, I used the term earlier as a can opener. That's probably a little um, crude, yeah. but to open up uh, some. Uh, yeah, it's funny. The UFOs are allegedly made of metal, and I think what I've tried to do in the book was to take a can opener to that and, yeah. and see what's inside that. That's mm -hmm. a little too uh, uh, physical a metaphor. But anyway, I, I wanted to open it up, and yeah. and to uh, and yet it started with me as a young guy. I said, gee, these UFO reports. Mm. They come and they go, and the debunkers dismiss them every time, and yet they continue. And I began to notice that pattern. I said, I think I have a book to write about this. Man, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I really am. And I, this feels like a uh, endless well. I mean, we we did. I'm checking the time, pushing three hours, <laughs> and we're just getting started. <laughs> you know, I I hope that you are willing to come back and continue to explore this. I will, and I and I'll, and I'll bring it more toward what I think. I, I I tried to focus on <clears throat> the primary themes in this yeah. of how the dispute, how the debate ultimately reveals more about the debaters, yes. what we bring to the debate. It, it, it gradually tells us much about our nature mm -hmm. and our inability to abide a gray zone, and, and we can only accept black and white. So to that extent, the phenomenon gives us insight into ourselves. And uh, there's another level of this that I do speculate about what could be going on more in an evolutionary sense and what, what, whatever, more extending valet. I sort of start with valet. I think, I think it's part of a larger pattern that's prior to the space age. Mm. And what is its current manifestation saying? Um, stay tuned. Hey, how's that for a teaser? Jay, dream talkers, that if, if you didn't enjoy that, I got nothing for you. That was about as good as it gets. Keith, thank you so much. That was so much fun. And part two is coming real soon. Well, thanks for the invitation. I look forward to returning. Thank you, Keith. You're the man. Right on.